This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of Souvenir by Philip K. Dick. It's read by Mike Vendetti. It runs 31 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. Souvenir by Philip K. Dick. I'm John W. Michaels. A hideous nightmare seemed the culture of Williamson's world to men who knew nothing of beauty. Here we go, sir, the robot pilot said. The words startled Rogers and made him look up sharply. He tensed his body and adjusted the trace web inside his coat as the bubble ship started dropping swiftly and silently toward the planet's surface. This, his heart caught, was Williamson's world, the legendary lost planet found after three centuries, by accident, of course, this blue and green planet, the holy grail of the galactic system, had been almost miraculously discovered by a routine charting mission. Frank Williamson been the first Terran to develop an outer space drive, the first to hop off from the solar system toward the universe beyond. He had never come back. He, his world, his colony, had never been found. There had been endless rumors, false leads, fake legends, and nothing more. I'm receiving final clearance. The robot pilot raised the gain on the control speaker and clicked to attention. Field ready, came a ghostly voice from below. Remember your drive mechanism is unfamiliar to us. How much run is required? Emergency brake walls are up? Rogers smiled. He could hear the pilot telling them that no run would be required, not with this ship. The brake walls could be lowered with perfect safety. Three hundred years. It had taken a long time to find Williamson's world. Many authorities had given him up. Some believed he had never landed and died out in space. Perhaps there was no Williamson's world. Certainly there had been no real clues, nothing tangible to go on. Frank Williamson and three families had utterly disappeared in the trackless void, never to be heard from again. Until now. The young man met him at the field. He was thin and red-haired, and dressed in a colorful suit of bright material. "'You're from the Galactic Relay Center?' he asked. "'That's right,' Rogers said huskily. "'I'm Edward Rogers.' The young man held out his hand. Rogers shook it awkwardly. "'My name is Williamson,' the young man said. "'Gene Williamson.' The name thundered in Rogers' ears. "'Are you?' The young man nodded. His gaze enigmatical. I'm his great-great-great-grandson. His tomb is here. You may see it if you wish. I almost expected to see him. He's, well, almost a god-figure to us. The first man to break out of the solar system. Means a lot to us, too, the young man said. He brought us here. They searched a long time before they found a planet that was habitable. Williamson waved at the city stretched out beyond the field. This one proved satisfactory. It's the system's tenth planet. 
Roger's eyes began to shine. Williamson's world. Under his feet. He stomped hard as they walked down the ramp together, away from the field. How many men in the galaxy had dreamed of striding down a landing ramp into Williamson's world, with a young descendant of Frank Williamson beside them? They'll all want to come here, Roger said, as if aware of his thoughts. Throw rubbish around and break off the flowers, pick up handfuls of dirt to take back. He laughed a little nervously. The relay will control them, of course. Of course, Rogers assured him. At the ramp in, Rogers stopped short. For the first time, he saw the city. What's wrong? Gene Williamson asked, with a faint trace of amusement. They had been cut off, of course, isolated, so perhaps it wasn't so surprising. It was a wonder they weren't living in caves, eating raw meat. But Williamson had always symbolized progress, development. He had been a man ahead of other men. True, his space drive by modern standards had been primitive, a curiosity. But the concept remained unaltered. Williamson, the pioneer, the inventor, the man who built. Yet the city was nothing more than a village, with a few dozen houses and some public buildings and industrial units at its perimeter. Beyond the city stretched green fields, hills, and broad prairies. Surface vehicles crawled leisurely along the narrow streets, and most of the citizens walked on foot. An incredible anachronism, it seemed, dragged up from the past. "'I'm accustomed to the uniform galactic culture,' Roger said. Relay keeps the technocratic and ideological level constant throughout. It's hard to adjust to such a radically different social stage. And you've been cut off. Cut off? asked Williamson. From Relay. You've had to develop without help. In front of them, a surface vehicle crept to a halt. The driver opened the doors manually. Now that I recall these factors, I can adjust, Rogers assured him. On the contrary, Williams said, entering the vehicle. We've been receiving your relay coordinates for over a century. He motioned Rogers to get in beside him. Rogers was puzzled. I don't understand. You mean you hooked into the web and yet made no attempt to... We receive your coordinates, Gene Williamson said. But our citizens are not interested in using them. The surface vehicle hurried along the highway, past the rim of an immense red hill. Soon the city lay behind them. A faintly glowing plate reflected the rays of the setting sun. Bushes and plants appeared along the highway. The sheer side of the cliff rose, a towering wall of deep red sandstone, ragged, untouched. "'Nice evening,' Williamson said. Rogers nodded in disturbed agreement. Williamson rolled down the window. Cool air blew into the car. A few gnat-like insects followed. Far off, two tiny figures were plowing a field, a man and a huge lumbering beast. "'When will we be there?' Rogers asked. "'Soon.' Most of us live away from the cities. We live in the country, in isolated, self-sufficient farm units. They're modeled on the manners of the Middle Ages. Then you maintain only the most rudimentary subsistence level. How many people live on each farm? Perhaps a hundred men and women. A hundred people can't manage anything more complex than weaving and dyeing and paper-pressing. 
We have special industrial units, manufacturing systems. This vehicle is a good example of what we can turn out. We have communication and sewage and medical agencies. We have technological advantages equal to Terra's. Terra of the 21st century, Roger protested. But that was 300 years ago. You're purposely maintaining an archaic culture in the face of the relay coordinates? Doesn't make sense. Maybe we prefer it. But you're not free to prefer an inferior cultural stage. Every culture has to keep pace with the general trend. Relay makes actual a uniformity of development. It integrates the valid factors and rejects the rest. They were approaching the farm, Gene Williamson's manor. It consisted of a few simple buildings clustered together in a valley to the side of the highway, surrounded by fields and pastures. The surface vehicle turned down a narrow side road and spiraled cautiously towards the floor of the valley. The air became darker, cold wind blew into the car, and the driver clicked his headlights on. "'No robots?' Rogers asked. "'No,' Williamson replied. "'We do all our own work.' "'You're making a purely arbitrary distinction,' Rogers pointed out. "'A robot is a machine. You don't dispense with machines as such.' This car is a machine. True, Williamson acknowledged. The machine and the development of the tool, Rogers went on. The axe is a simple machine. A stick becomes a tool, a simple machine in the hands of a man reaching for something. A machine is merely a multi-element tool that increases the power ratio. Man is the tool-making animal. The history of man is the history of tools into machines, greater and more efficient, functioning elements. If you reject machinery, we reject man's essential key. Here we are, Williamson said. The vehicle came to a halt, and the driver opened the doors for them. Three or four huge wooden buildings loomed up in the darkness. A few dim shapes moved around, human shapes. Dinner's ready, Williamson said, sniffing. I can smell it. They entered the main building. Several men and women were sitting at a long, rough table. Plates and dishes had been set in front of them. They were waiting for Williamson. "'This is Edward Rogers,' Williamson announced. The people studied Rogers curiously, then turned back to their food. "'Sit down,' a dark-eyed girl urged. "'By me.' They made a place for him near the end of the table. Rogers started forward, but Williamson restrained him. "'Not there. You're my guest.' You're expected to sit with me. The girl and her companions laughed. Rogers sat down awkwardly by Williamson. The bench was rough and hard under him. He examined a handmade wooden drinking cup. The food was piled in huge wooden bowls. There was a stew and a salad and great loaves of bread. We could be back in the fourteenth century, Rogers said. Yes, Williamson agreed. Manor life goes back to Roman times and to the classical world. The Gauls, Britons. These people here, are they? Williamson nodded. My family. We're divided up into small units arranged according to the traditional patriarch basis. I'm the oldest male and titular head. The people were eating rapidly, intent on their food. Boiled meat, vegetables, scooped up with hunks of bread and butter— and washed down with milk. The room was lit by fluorescent lighting. Incredible, Rogers murmured. 
you're still using electric power. Oh, yes. There are plenty of waterfalls on this planet. The vehicle was electric. It was run by a storage battery. Why are there no older men? Rogers saw several dried-up old women, but Williamson was the oldest man, and he couldn't have been over thirty. The fighting, Williamson replied, with an expressive gesture. Fighting? Clan wars between families are a major part of our culture, Williamson nodded toward the long table. We don't live long. Rogers was stunned. Clan wars? But we have pennants and emblems like the old Scottish tribes. He touched a bright ribbon on his sleeve, the representation of a bird. There are emblems and colors for each family, and we fight over them. The Williamson family no longer controls this planet. There is no central agency now. For a major issue, we have the plebiscite, a vote by all the clans. Each family on the planet has a vote. Like the American Indians. Williamson nodded. It's a tribal system. In time, we'll be distinct tribes, I suppose. We still retain a common language, but we're breaking up, decentralizing. And each family to its own ways, its own customs and manners. Just what do you fight for? Williamson shrugged. Some real things like land and women, some imaginary, prestige, for instance. When honor is at stake, we have an official semi-annual public battle. A man from each family takes part, the best warrior and his weapons. Like the medieval joust? We've drawn from all traditions, human tradition as a whole. Does each family have its separate deity? Williamson laughed. No, we worship in common a vague animalism, a sense of the general positive vitality of the universal process. He held up a loaf of bread. Thanks for all this, which you grew yourselves. On a planet provided for us. Williamson ate his bread thoughtfully. The old records say the ship was almost finished, fuel just about gone, one dead, arid waste after another. If this planet hadn't turned up, the whole expedition would have perished. Cigar? Williamson asked. When the empty bowls had been pushed back. Thanks. Rogers accepted a cigar noncommittally. Williamson lit his own and settled back against the wall. How long are you staying? he asked presently. Not long, Rogers answered. There's a bed fixed up for you, Williamson said. We retire early, but there'll be some kind of dancing, also singing and dramatic acts. We devote a lot of time to staging and producing drama. You place an emphasis on psychological release? We enjoy making and doing things, that's what you mean. Rogers stared about him. The walls were covered with murals, painted directly on the rough wood. So I see, he said. You grind your own colors from clay and berries? Not quite, Williamson replied. We have a big pigment industry. Tomorrow I'll show you our kiln, where we fire our own things. Some of our best work is with fabrics and screen processes. Interesting. A decentralized society moving gradually back into primitive tribalism. A society that voluntarily rejects the advanced technocratic and cultural products of the galaxy, and thus deliberately withdraws from contact with the rest of mankind. From the uniform, relay-controlled society only, Williamson insisted. 
"'Do you know why Relay maintains a uniform level for all worlds?' Rogers asked. "'I'll tell you. There are two reasons. First, the body of knowledge which men have amassed doesn't permit duplication of experiment. There's no time. When a discovery has been made, it's absurd to repeat it on countless planets throughout the universe. Information gained on any of the thousand worlds is flashed to Relay Center and then out again to the whole galaxy.' Relay studies and selects experiments and coordinates them into a rational, functional system without contradictions. Relay orders the total experience of mankind into a coherent structure. And the second reason? If uniform culture is maintained, controlled from a central source, there won't be war. True, Williams had admitted. We abolished war. It's as simple as that. We have a homogeneous culture, like that of ancient Rome, a common culture for all mankind, which we maintain throughout the galaxy. Each planet is as involved in it as any other. There are no backwaters of culture to breed envy and hatred, such as this. Rogers let out his breath slowly. Yes, you've confronted us with a strange situation. We've searched for Williamson's world for three centuries— We've wanted it, dreamed of finding it. It has seemed like Prester John's empire, a fabulous world, cut off from the rest of humanity. Maybe not real at all. Frank Williamson might have crashed. But he didn't. He didn't, and Williamson's world is alive with a culture of its own, deliberately set apart with its own way of life, its own standards. Now contact has been made, and our dream has come true. The people of the galaxy will soon be informed that Williamson's world has been found. We can now restore the first colony outside the solar system to its rightful place in the galactic culture. Rogers reached into his coat and brought out a metal packet. He unfastened the packet and laid a clean, crisp document on the table. What's this? Williamson asked. The Articles of Incorporation, for you sign, so that Williamson's world can become a part of the galactic culture. Williamson and the rest of the people in the room fell silent. They gazed down at the document, none of them speaking. Well, Roger said. He was tense. He pushed the document towards Williamson. Here it is. Williamson shook his head. Sorry. He pushed the document firmly back toward Rogers. We've already taken a plebiscite. I hate to disappoint you, but we've already decided not to join. That's our final decision. The Class I battleship assumed an orbit outside the gravity belt of Williamson's world. Commander Ferris contacted the relay center. We're here. What next? Send down a wiring team. Report back to me as soon as it has made surface contact. Ten minutes later, Corporal Pete Matson was dropped overboard in a pressurized gravity suit. He dropped slowly toward the blue and green globe beneath, turning and twisting as he neared the surface of the planet. Matson landed and bounced a couple of times, he got shakily to his feet. He seemed to be at the edge of a forest. In the shadow of the huge trees, he removed his crash helmet. Holding his blast rifle tightly, he made his way forward, cautiously advancing among the trees. His earphones clicked. Any sign of activity? None, Commander. He signaled back. 
There's what appears to be a village to your right. You may run into someone. Keep moving and watch out. The rest of the team is dropping now. Instructions will follow from your relay web. I'll watch out, Matson promised, cradling his blast rifle. He sighted it experimentally at the distant hill and squeezed the trigger. The hill disintegrated into dust, a rising column of waste particles. Matson climbed a long ridge and shielded his eyes to peer around him. He could see the village. It was small, like a country town on Terra. It looked interesting. For a moment he hesitated. Then he stepped quickly down from the ridge and headed toward the village, moving rapidly, his supple body alert. Above him, from the Class One battleship, three more of the team were already falling, clutching their guns and tumbling gently toward the surface of the planet. Rogers folded the incorporation papers and returned them slowly to his coat. "'You understand what you're doing?' he asked. The room was deathly silent. Williamson nodded. "'Of course. We're refusing to join your relay system.' Rogers' fingers touched the trace web. The web warmed into life. "'Sorry to hear that,' he said. "'Does it surprise you?' "'Not exactly.' Relays submitted our scout's report to the computers. There was always the possibility you'd refuse. I was given instructions in case of such an event. "'What are your instructions?' Rogers examined his wristwatch. To inform you that you have six hours to join us, or be blasted out of the universe. He got abruptly to his feet. Sorry this had to happen. Williamson's world is one of our most precious legends. But nothing must destroy the unity of the galaxy. Williamson had risen. His face was ash-white, the color of death. They faced each other defiantly. We'll fight, Williamson said quietly. His fingers knotted together violently, clenching and unclenching. That's unimportant. You've received relay coordinates on weapons development. You know what our war fleet has. The other people sat quietly at their places, staring rigidly down at their empty plates. No one moved. Is it necessary? Williamson asked harshly. Cultural variation must be avoided if the galaxy is to have peace, Rogers replied firmly. You'd destroy us to avoid war? We'd destroy anything to avoid war. We can't permit our society to degenerate into bickering provinces, forever quarreling and fighting like your clans. We're stable because we lack the very concept of variation. Uniformity must be preserved and separation must be discouraged. The idea itself must remain unknown. Williamson was thoughtful. Do you think you can keep the idea unknown? There are so many semantic correlatives, hints, verbal leads. Even if you blast us, it may arise somewhere else. We'll take that chance. Rogers moved toward the door. I'll return to my ship and wait there. I suggest you take another vote. Maybe knowing how far we are prepared to go will change the results. I doubt it. Rogers' web whispered suddenly. This is north at Relay. Rogers fingered the web in acknowledgment. Class One battleship is in your area. A team has already been landed. 
Keep your ship grounded until it can fall back. I've ordered the team to lay out its fission mine terminals. Rogers said nothing. His fingers tightened around the web convulsively. What's wrong? Williamson asked. Nothing. Rogers pushed the door open. I'm in a hurry to return to my ship. Let's go. Commander Ferris contacted Rogers as soon as his ship had left Williamson's world. North tells me you've already informed them, Ferris said. That's right. He also contacted your team directly. Had it prepare the attack. So I'm informed. How much time did you offer them? Six hours. Do you think they'll give in? I don't know, Rogers said. I hope so. But I doubt it. Williamson's world turned slowly in the viewscreen with its green and blue forests, rivers, and oceans. Terra might have looked that way once. He could see the Class I battleship, a great silvery globe, moving slowly in its orbit around the planet. The legendary world had been found and contacted. Now it would be destroyed. He tried to prevent it, but without success. He couldn't prevent the inevitable. If Williamson's world refused to join galactic culture, its destruction became a necessity, grim, axiomatic. It was either Williamson's world or the galaxy. To preserve the greater, the lesser had to be sacrificed. He made himself as comfortable as possible by the view screen and waited. At the end of six hours, a line of black dots rose from the planet and headed slowly toward the Class I battleship. He recognized them for what they were, old-fashioned, jet-driven rocket ships, a formation of antiquated war vessels rising up to give battle. The planet had not changed its mind. It was going to fight. It was willing to be destroyed rather than give up its way of life. Black dots grew swiftly, larger, becoming roaring, blazing metal disks, puffing awkwardly along. Pathetic sight. Rogers felt strangely moved, watching the jet-driven ships divide up for the contact. The Class I battleship had left its orbit and was swinging in a lazy, efficient arc. Its banks of energy tubes were slowly rising, lining up to meet the attack. Suddenly the formation of ancient rocket ships dived. They rumbled over the Class I, firing jerkily. The Class I's tubes followed their path. They began to reform clumsily, gaining distance for a second try and another run. A tongue of colorless energy flicked out. The attackers vanished. Commander Ferris contacted Rogers. Poor tragic fools. His heavy face was gray attacking us with those things. Any damage? None whatsoever. Ferris wiped his forehead shakily. No damage to me at all. What next? Rogers asked stonily. I've declined the mine operation and passed it back to Relay. They'll have to do it. The impulse should already be... Below them the green and blue globe shuddered convulsively, soundlessly. Effortlessly, it flew apart. Fragments rose, bits of debris, and the planet dissolved in a cloud of white flame, a blazing mass of incandescent fire. For an instant, it remained a miniature sun, lighting up the void. 
then it faded into ash. The screens of Roger's ship hummed into life as the debris struck. Particles rained against them and were instantly disintegrated. Well, Ferris said, it's over. North will report the original scout mistaken. Williamson's world wasn't found. The legend will remain a legend. Rogers continued to watch until the last bits of debris had ceased flying, and only a vague, discolored shadow remained. The screens clicked off automatically. To his right, the Class I battleship picked up speed and headed toward the Rika system. Williamson's world was gone. The galactic relay culture had been preserved. The idea, the concept of a separate culture with its own ways, its own customs, had been disposed of in the most effective possible way. Good job, the relay trace web whispered. North was pleased. The fission mines were perfectly placed. Nothing remains. No, Rogers agreed. Nothing remains. Corporal Pete Matson pushed the front door open, grinning from ear to ear. Hi, honey. Surprise. Pete! Gloria Matson came running, throwing her arms around her husband. What are you doing home, Pete? Special leave. Forty-eight hours. Pete tossed down his suitcase triumphantly. Hi there, kid. His son greeted him shyly. Hello. Pete squatted down and opened his suitcase. How've things been going? How's school? He's had another cold, Gloria said. He's almost over it, but what happened? Why did they... Military secret. Pete fumbled in his suitcase. Here. He held out something to his son. I brought you something. A souvenir. He handed his son a handmade wooden drinking cup. The boy took it shyly and turned it around, curious and puzzled. What's a souvenir? Matson struggled to express the difficult concept. Well, it's something that reminds you of a different place. Something you don't have where you are. You know. Matson tapped the cup. That's to drink out of. It's sure not like our plastic cups, is it? No, the child said. Look at this, Gloria. Pete shook out a great folded cloth from his suitcase, printed with multicolored designs. Pick this up cheap. You can make a skirt out of it. What do you say? Ever seen anything like it? No, Gloria said, awed. I haven't. She took the cloth and fingered it reverently. Pete Matson beamed as his wife and child stood clutching the souvenirs he had brought them. Reminders of his excursions to distant places, foreign lands. Gee, his son whispered, turning the cup around and around. A strange light glowed in his eyes. Thanks a lot, Dad, for the souvenir. The strange light grew. This has been Souvenir by Philip K. Dick. I'm John W. Michaels. Production copyright 2014 by Audiobooks by Mike Vendetti. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Evan. My name is Mike Vendetti. And we're going to talk about Souvenir by Philip K. Dick. This is first published in Fantastic Universe, October 1954. 
And uh, there's a couple of editorial introductions. I guess this is the teaser that makes you want to read the story. It says, A hideous nightmare seemed the culture of Williams, Williamson's world to men who knew nothing of beauty. And then, uh, to let you know who Philip K. Dick was, Philip K. Dick's characters have an exciting way of letting their logically motivated self-interest lend them straight down, uh, li- sorry, lead them straight down the flaming road to ruin. We suspect that, that it is this distinctly individual approach which has made him one of the most admired and widely read of science fiction writers of the past few years. Surely, the conflict between adventurous idealism and blind self-seeking makes, uh, blind self-seeking makes for spirited reading in any man's language. What that says to me is the uh, editor, Leo Margolis, uh, has no idea what to make of this story. <laughs> um, and, uh, Evan, I-, I thought this is the one where they stand around in robes, uh, and walk around cedars on a, like a university campus, but that's not this story. It has stuff like that in here. But that's not exactly this story. So there's another story out there like that. And I know you mentioned in your podcast that the next one you were going to do was called uh, Upon the Dull Earth, which is a show I've done many years ago. Terrific story, uh, which has cedars and walking around, but no robes. Uh, So there's got to be another story out there with cedars uh, walking around in robes. But this is a familiar story. I have read it before. Um. And uh, I know Mike, you had read it before because you did a yeah, book I did. It. That was one of the, that was one of the first ones that I did. It's a nice short one. It's like half hour to read, right? Yeah, um, that's my attention span. <laughs> mine too. Um, Paul, had you read this one before? I had not. Okay, so um, I've ha- I passed through it a couple of times in my life. Uh, what did you think of it? Who you whom you asking? Use. Oh. You, Paul. Oh, 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 you said you and I get into me, me, Mike, or Evan. Um, I found it a atypical Philip K. Dick story, which is explicitly questioning the logic and um, assumptions of empire. It's, 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 it's put straight, it puts straight up to the reader. But I mean, just, just digging a little deeper, you can see that Dick is, criticizing the whole concept of the galactic polity that his main character is a part of and the the extremes to which what they do mm. i mean i, I mean they, yeah. they, they they find that they find this first colony and destroy it it's just like because it they won't fit in with the literally empire. nuke it they, they, they destroy mm. the planet they planet bust the, the entire planet to uh they genocide they them yeah because it yeah. won't uh if they won't conform to uh, to the empire. I mean, I was going to get to this later, but I'll go into it right now. What this reminds me of, um, when, when without irony, twenty some odd years later, is the Empire of Man from Jerry Cornell and Larry Niven, IAK, The Moat in God's Eye, mm-hmm. and its sequels. Mm-hmm. Because in that, in those books, it's explicitly the the uh, the policy of the empire to bring in any rogue colonies that are out there into the empire by any means necessary because to avoid another interstellar conflict. It, so yes. So you have to kill, to destroy the village in order to save it sort of approach. Mm-hmm. But here, here it's, here it's presented, it's presented blandly and banally, but it's the same sort of logic. Like, yep. To, to prevent conflict and have everything soon, we're going to have everybody the same 
homogeneity is the way of life, which is is a terrifying concept. But you can, um, you can, you can. Oh, um, let me think about this for a second. Um, so, so, so this kind of reminds me of a couple of Philip K. Dick novels, particularly um, Time Out of Joint, because in Time Out of Joint, if you'll remember, the moon is in rebellion against the Earth. But it's and the Earth is desperate to keep one happy world. Mm-hmm. So it's that's a, it's again yeah. criticizing the whole idea of difference and not having everything the same the, the same banal. And because this story talks about how like all the planets are in alignment, they have the same technology, same culture. It's it's a repressive troweling of difference to a bland sameness and any difference from that. Even the legendary first colony cannot be tolerated and that's for a 1950s story where we're we're we're, we're at the height it's really ideological it's, i i think it's really yeah. interesting yeah you were you're gonna agree with uh, paul there i think evan i agree with him i i wrote down i mean i've looked at the story several times so um I, I don't know what more to say i didn't look back at my old episode or even when i wrote about it in the book but i wrote down eight things which I think sum up my thoughts. I, I think it's more or less probably what I said in that episode, um, and I'll just I'll just read them. Well, but first let, we'll deal with Paul's point. Uh, gunboat gunboat diplomacy for cultural hegemony. Yeah, that's that's cl- you know clearly part of it. That's right. You know, we're we're you know it's for the good of all that we all share the same values, right? Democracy or whatever it might be, right? So we're going to go and invade you if you if you don't share those those values. Um, but I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, maybe I did. But the question is, should information be shared? Or in a sense, the this empire has this idea of like inventions being sort of a public domain, which I thought yes. was a, I may have missed that before. But I think that's an interesting idea. Oh, you said public domain like, oh, in in the uh, podcast, yeah, absolutely. So the technology is, and I mean the empire is really bad here, but they do seem to have this idea. Let's share all inventions across the cultures. And that's kind of interesting. Um, now back to Williamson's world, uh, this idea of choosing technology, this is something Dick really cares a lot about. And this comes up so much in his work. The, the choice it's, it's kind of like how the Amish, right? They, yes. they don't reject technology. They say, we don't want this technology because this is going to be bad for a community. You know, they, they have plenty of technology, right? Mm-hmm. They have hammers and horses uh, and, air tools. and wheels. Yeah, they have all kinds of technology, but they say this particular technology is bad for us for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. So Williamson's world makes that choice, and I think that's a choice we should think more seriously about because I think for the most part in our world, we just accept whatever technology is dumped on us. It's an unexamined choice for most people. Yeah. Yes. Um, then globalization, of course, is... This is where we're heading, it seems to me, this mm-hmm. empire. We are mm-hmm. kind of heading towards one big world, and that was praised in the 90s, and then it was questioned the end that, of history. You know, by different groups. The end of history, yeah, and it's something that should scare us. certainly scared Philip Dick, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the question, should cultures keep pace? This is tied to that. That was such a big thing of globalization. It's like development. Like if you teach – I taught AP Human Geography for a long time, and this idea of development – and I always ask this question to the students is like, who's making these metrics and what's the assumptions behind these metrics we're making when we say this is what a development is and this is the goal of all societies, right? Yeah. You know, what's like the UN has the human development index. Well, 
are, you know, what that will that lead us all to the same place? Is development going to be the same everywhere? And, and is that kind of written into the empire? Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of cultures keeping faith. Then I got this stuff about is Williamson's world post scarcity? And then here I was thinking about Star Trek stuff mm-hmm. um, because they seem to LARP. And this got me thinking about the Klingons again and yep. my theory about the Klingons. That I, I had this idea that the Klingons, I don't know if you should be taken seriously or not, but I, the I'm Klingons taking it very seriously. An advanced post scarcity society that just sort of got bored and they started LARPing uh, to keep but, their life but, interesting. More, more, more a feudal future, basically. Yeah, and it's because they have all they need, so they can play the stupid politics and care about honor and and fight these clan wars and you know this Batleth tournaments, whatever they do, mm-hmm. right? It's because they have replicators too. They they went a different way than the Federation, but they're technologically at the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, and Williamson world seems to have gotten to post scarcity in a different way. Like they seem to they use technology, they use machines to get what they need. And everyone seems to have a job, but also they seem to have a lot of time on their hands. And there's Dick doesn't spend enough time on this question. It's just I think he wasn't foremost in his thought when he wrote this. But there's some interesting stuff here, especially when we think about all Dick wrote about work and post scarcity and things like that in his other works, like Galactic Popular. Mm-hmm. Start off to that great book, mm-hmm. and then finally the frontier as as creative. That's something. That's so much in Dick's work. It's in that the idea of the, the lunatics and time of a joint, as Paul mentioned. But uh, the world Jones made has the frontier as a creative thing. Uh, Mr. Starship, Mr. Spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very another man. public domain one, by the way, Mike. There's so Mr. many uh, stories that Dick wrote in the early 50s where the idea is the frontier is the way out of decadent, cultural decadence. <laughs> The, 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 really the liminal spaces of empire is where yes. where innovation can exactly. happen because you have because you have, you're having contact with things which are not of the empire. I mean, you see that yeah. through human history along the Silk Road and other places where where basically different civilizations meet and you get interesting fusions and developments that mm-hmm. are often rejected by those empires. Sometimes sometimes very strongly. Mm-hmm. See, following Ming the the Ming dynasty in China, but that's, that's where, that's where things can happen if allowed. Yeah. And here it's, it's kind of literal, like with crafts, but that's something else that, that Dick, that's, that's Dick has in his head all the time. Mm -hmm. As I'm getting back to Galactic Popular, that's the whole point, right? We escape cultural decadence by being creative and being creative with our hands, not letting machines do that work for us. We're, you know, we're going to carve that cup, that bowl by hand. Or make that jewelry from. That uh, is an amazing thing. Man in a even high if castle. The, even if even yep. if the pot is bad, or like even if the pot's ugly, we're gonna make pots. We're not just gonna fix them anymore. And that theme is already as early as this. I think that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's what I wrote down yeah. as I reread this story. I take it. I think my more overall my ideas on this story haven't changed. I think these I still think are the main themes. I wanna I wanna read this section to oh, we Mike. Can take it. Um because uh I was thinking a lot about this um I don't think I was thinking about it because I, I remembered Mike was going to be on and he, you were an infantryman, right? Mike? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, I'm promoted. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> I'm going to read this section. This is on porch, page 45 or no, 48, uh, where, um, we're introduced to our second major character, uh, uh, from this galactic civilization. 
Ten minutes later, Corporal Pete Matson was dropped overboard in a pressure pressurized gravity suit. He drifted slowly towards the blue and green globe beneath, turning and twisting as he neared the surface of the planet. Matson landed and bounced and a couple of times. He got shakily to his feet. He seemed to be at the edge of a forest. In the shadow of huge trees, he removed his crash helmet. Holding his blast rifle tightly, he made his way forward, cautiously advancing among the trees. His earphones clicked. Any sign of activity? None, Commander, he signaled back. There's what appears to be a village to your right. You may run into some uh, someone. Keep moving and watch out. The rest of the team is dropping now. Instructions will follow from your relay web. I'll watch out, Matson promised, cradling his blast rifle. <laughs> he sighted it experimentally at a distant hill and squeezed the trigger. The hill disintegrated into dust, a rising column of waste particles. Matson climbed a long, a long ridge and shielded his eyes to peer around him. He could see the village. It was small, like a country town on Terra. It looked interesting. For a moment, he hesitated. Then he stepped quickly down from the ridge and headed towards the village, moving rapidly, his supple body alert. Above him, from the Class I battleship, three more of the team were ready, already falling, clutching their guns and tumbling gently towards the surface of the planet. So these guys are not infantrymen. They're uh, airborne, right? Yeah, you'd, I guess you'd have to say they're airborne. They jumped out of a perfectly good aircraft. <laughs> right. Uh, spacecraft <laughs> jumped out of a perfectly good spacecraft and, and parachuted or tumbled to Earth or uh, Williamson's world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to me, this is kind of funny because I, I don't think Philip K. Dick, you know, he, he, he went to ROTC class and dropped his gun and then never came back. Right? <laughs> dropped his wooden gun and never came back. But, um, uh, I thought that it was really interesting because this is, uh, Starship Troopers before Starship Troopers, right? They jump out of, uh, a perfectly good spacecraft independently, not in a shuttle, and fall to the planet's surface, guns uh, that can destroy, you know, entire mountains in hand, and then, and then they're carrying nukes, which they plant. This is the dream of all those generals during, uh, the atomic years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because you when you look at the time that uh Dick was doing this stuff, we still thought that there might be people living on Mars or right, right. creatures creatures living on uh planets and so forth. So uh yeah, you know, and another thing I you know, I as I look at this destroying the planet, it's like what we see going on in uh Ukraine. And it's you know, Sun Tzu said you don't destroy the country or the uh, uh, fortress that you want to uh, uh, own or inhabit. But, you know, as I go through what, like what Putin has done in Ukraine, he's uh, not followed any of the rules that Sun Tzu laid down. I'm, I'm sure you've all read Sun Tzu. No, and, uh, I, I still need to read that book. Yeah, I know you've got an audio book of it, so should probably. Well, I got I got four or five audio. Books oh, really? Wow. But yeah, but I mean, this was uh, this was wisdom three thousand years ago, and it's like you don't attack a walled city, and he's done all this stuff, and uh, you know here are these uh, Wilson's world, uh, instead of uh, changing it, we'll just blow it off the uh, out of the universe. Mm-hmm. 
Like there's nothing of value there. Or it's and then he goes home. Oh, this guy, what's his name? Uh, Matson. He goes home and yeah. he sees his wife and kid. He's he's like, hey, honey, what are you doing back? I can't tell you. That's all secret. However, here's a couple of souvenirs. And I noticed um, it wasn't one souvenir. It was two. It was one, two. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, where did he get these? Right. Like. Right, be, uh, like as he's sneaking around the planet, planting his mines, nuke mines. Um, you know, he, I, was, I was, I was thinking a souvenir gathering. Them, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of figured like he's just like bought them, bought them from people on the planet. I mean, the the the, the wooden, uh, bolt, wooden cup and no. and and the it cloth. doesn't say. It just doesn't say. There's a there's a. A gap. It says the fission mines were perfectly placed. Nothing remains. No, Rogers agreed. Nothing remains. And then there's a gap of time. Corporal Pete Matson pushed the front door open, grinning from ear to ear. Hi, honey. Surprise. Pete. Gloria Matson came running, throwing her arms around her husband. What are you doing home, Pete? Special leave. 48 hours. Pete tossed down his suitcase. <laughs> Well, that know, made me I, laugh last, so hard. His suitcase, not his. his... Last, last night I was thinking about souvenir gathering. Uh huh. And uh, in the South Pacific during World War II, yeah, these guys would come home with a Japanese head in their duffel bag. Yeah, yeah. But, no, it's crazy. Uh, but uh, you know, a they, katana they didn't do the same thing. and they, a they, Japanese yeah, pistol. Yeah, they the Germans different. You know, and uh, it's like these people. Don't respect Robinson's world. I mean, it's just uh, it's kind of like you know, I'll take what I want. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the sense that he bought them. Why do you think that? Why do you guys think that? I didn't think he did. I think there was something he said. said Like like the the like the the cloth. I thought he bought. Well, it's a bolt uh, of cloth, right? But yeah, bolt of cloth. But the the uh, cup. That's the it's same like cup. He walked by and picked it up and uh, slipped it into his. Uh, yeah, it's like I'm nuking this whole place. Why does he need to buy anything? How's he going to buy it? Did he bring his wallet, his credit card? Right. I I think these are like spoils of war. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, and he didn't think about it at all. He just thought, yeah. oh, that's novel. Let me read that whole section here. It's this is the end of the story. Uh, uh, hi there, kid. Uh, so he puts down his suitcase. It's not his duffel bag, right? Which I thought was hilarious because that makes him like a traveling salesman. Well, that, well, or or it, it kind of makes the whole military industrial complex more explicit. Well, it, it just like, it makes it more it, like it, a it, business. Right, <laughs> he's right, exactly. he's back from a business no, trip. It's the business, exactly. Yeah, this is just strictly business. Strictly <laughs> That's business. right. We're going to blow your planet up, but That's it's right. strictly business. No hard feelings. Pete squatted down and opened his suitcase. How have things been going? How's school? He had another cold, Gloria said. He's almost over it. But what happened? Why did they? Military secret. Pete fumbled in his suitcase. Here, he held something out to his son. I brought you something. A souvenir. He handed his son a handmade wooden drinking cup. The boy took it shyly and turned it around. Curious and puzzled. What's a a souvenir? Matson struggled to express the difficult concept. Well, it's something that reminds you of a different place, something you don't have where you are. Now, this is actually something that Philip yeah, K. Dick really interesting. does a mm-hmm. lot. He actually writes whole stories based on like a tiny little incident with his, like he has to explain what a souvenir is to his kid. Um, 
he has a story like basically it's a snow globe story, right? The Crystal Crypt. It's like, well, you see, there's a whole little world inside there, little Johnny. <laughs> and then and he says, oh, my God, that's a story right there. Right? And he runs to the But I have a question shack. for you guys mm-hmm. about this very line. This very line. Yep. Um, okay. We know why the kid doesn't know what a souvenir is because mm. there's nothing different. There's no different place. Right. So there, this doesn't make sense. How does Madsen know what a souvenir is? Because he How's goes Madsen to these planets to and blows articulate. them up for a living. That's what he does. Right? He goes to places where things... Yeah, obviously he doesn't know what the word means, but he does know. But he knows, yeah. So he's got this word in his vocabulary, but where would he pick that up? I'm thinking, kind of, you know, this, this word would have been long ago phased out. It would have been like an archaic word. It's interesting, thinking about like how plausible this story's premise is, but um, I want to point out in Paycheck... Um, you know, reaching into your pocket and coming out with five or six things like a bus receipt and a casino token. And, you know, like he thinks these are really significant, like these little tan- intangible or tangible objects that that have words printed on them or half a broken, you know, Rubik's Cube or whatever. He thinks these are really substantial. And this is something that he's always bringing to his stories that no other authors that I know of are interested in at all, right? They might have some object, you know, magic sword or anything, but to him it's the everyday object that is just sitting there on the mantle that has profound implications, right? Um, I mentioned it uh, when you are talking about um, uh, another story that Man in the High Castle has this really obsessive interest in art. I guess you're talking about um, Galactic Pot Healer, which is about the creation of of ceramics, right? And uh, repairing of ceramics. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but in Man in High Castle, there's the guns, the fake guns and the real guns, the authentic and the inauthentic. But there's also the jewel jewelry, right? That he spent, which in real life he was helping his wife to make that they were selling. And these little abstract, uh, I think of them as like... Um, I don't know. Yin yang symbols <laughs> that he, that he's, um, selling as jewelry have, can, can have profound implications on reality. You contemplate this thing and it can shift your reality in a way. This is a very strange thing to do. But to him, the idea of a souvenir is a fascinating philosophical topic. And it is something that you can base a whole story around, which is proven by this story. So he says to his kid, uh, something you don't have where you are, you know. Matson tapped the cup. That's to drink out of. It's not like our plastic cups, is it? Notice they have plastic, not, you know, glass or crystal or whatever. No, the child said. Look at this, Gloria. Pete shook out a great folded cloth from his suitcase, printed with multicolored de- designs. Pick this up cheap. So this is where... Uh, this is why see, we think he bought it. This is why yeah, you think he bought it. Che- yeah, yeah. picked up cheap. But yeah, did he buy it on another planet, or did he buy it uh, by stealing it from somebody on Williamson's world? I don't think he stole it because he picked it up cheap. And yeah, well, that's and what you also flies. say. That's what you also say when you've stolen it, too, right? Well, you don't you say... Know, I, could, could you look at the, the souvenirs? Uh, could you uh, switch souvenir with contraband? Uh, like, in a sense, yeah, right. I mean, this yeah, is look, contraband. Not supposed to have You're not stuff. supposed to have a, yeah, a, a um, 
Japanese soldier's head in your duffel bag. Absolutely. Yeah. But people did it yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. But it's it's like it's something that uh you know, it's he walks by and picks it up and hides it. And if his uh commander saw it, he'd take it away from him. Right. Right. But you know, everybody's doing it, so you just you don't even get a reprimand, you just have it seized, right? So you, well, I don't know, you know, because you see, this is this is really important that it's from a whole different world, a whole different concept that they don't have on Terra. And he goes out and he picks this up and he puts it in his suitcase and hides it and brings it home. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like you, you there are certain things that you you can't have, you know, and it's uh, but he got it anyway. Yeah, the line is uh, here. Pete Matson beamed as his wife and child stood clutching the souvenirs he had brought them, reminders of his excursions to distant places, foreign lands. If everybody, if every place is the same, and this is sort of the idea you go to uh, Tokyo and you go to the McDonald's there. I know, Paul, you've been to banned from a McDonald's in Italy, right? No matter where you I go, there's... I got thrown out of it because... Well, I, I mean, don't know if I'm physically... Banned, but I'm not going to go in there and get the find out. Physically thrown out of a... I, they'll probably forget it in 20 years. Um, of of the shame that you caused in that place. Well, I, I don't know the story, but... Uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, uh, there are no foreign lands, right? If everybody speaks the same language, if everybody watches the same TV shows, and this is actually not our world, Right? One of the things that's weird about what the internet relay has done, what, what it's not called the internet relay, although I made a note. This is the internet, right? Uh, early in the story. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, Roger's lecture. Dark Eyed Girl. Oh, uh, Evan, you said on your podcast they had, um, they had internal combustion engines. They don't, they have electric cars. Oh, yeah. Um, here it is. Uh, this is on page 43, second column. Uh, on the contrary, Williams had said, entering the vehicle, we've been receiving your relay coordinates for over a century. He mentioned, Ro- uh, he motioned Rogers to get in beside him. Rogers was puzzled. I don't understand. You mean you hooked onto the web and yet made no attempt to? So that's the internet in 1954, right? Except it's a regulated internet. It says this is the approved thing. This is the one you need to follow this is the technology and their explanation for why everybody has to be the same is there's no no need to replicate a technology or an experiment right because it's already been proven but also there's no time to do that you you you, because all cultures have to keep up that's right everybody has to keep up so being up with the Joneses. This is absolutely the opposite of what the and it's really interesting to me, Evan. You missed that in the you didn't talk about the Amish. I was thinking about the Amish all through this story because they do have this. Yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't it's really it. interesting. It. They are always saying, "Here's a new technology." Some kid comes to the council and he says, "Hey, uh, I'd like to have a cell phone," and they say, "Cell phone? What is this?" English, English technology. <laughs> I can't do an Amish accent, but whatever. You see the guy with the white beard that's only on the bottom of his chin, right? And it doesn't go over his m- mouth. Somebody has to stop chewing their 
electrical. But th- th- this wires. attitude that like of of like why wouldn't you when they they said well we've seen the internet right and we don't we're not that into it and then they're like baffled by this. This is like you see this among even young people today when it's like they'll say they're on some website they're on like discord or something mm-hmm. you just make some comments like get off discord this is class right and then you make you say like why would anyone want to be on discord i make some comment like that and mm-hmm. they're like baffled like mm-hmm. that's the greatest thing ever it's like right. you're an idiot for not being into this why aren't you on tiktok <laughs> yeah so snapchat <laughs> i think it's a pretty believable attitude of people who it comes with kind of cultural supremacy but i think he, you know, if you grow up in a culture, then it's it's hard to imagine any alternative to it. I suppose. Here's the here's the li- just... uh, the lines related to it. I'm accustomed to the mm-hmm. uniform galactic culture. Roger says relay. So uh, wherever mm-hmm. you say relay, we just think internet. Okay. Yeah. Relay keeps the technocratic and ideological level constant throughout. It's hard to adjust to such a radically different social stage. He's talking about uh, the stage of Williamson's world. And the thing is, is this is actually, it's so interesting. This, the conversation is, it is a brief story because they really just get into it right away, right? He lands on the planet, meets the guy, and he says, I'm going to take you to my place. And while they're driving along, he, he it's a info dump. Uh, this is on page 44. Um, a hundred people can't manage anything more complex than weaving and dyeing and paper pressing. And so the weaving and dyeing, that's, that's where that cloth that he gives his wife comes from, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it says, we have special industrial units, manufacturing systems. That This vehicle is a good example of what we can turn out. We have communication and sewage and medical agencies. We have technolo- technological advances equal to Terra's. Terra's the 21st century. Terra of the 21st century, Rogers protested. But that was 300 years ago. You're purposely maintaining an archaic culture in the face of relay coordinates. It, so uh, this idea of relay doesn't make a lot of sense, but if you think of it as internet, it does. And then coordinates, that is, we all have to be coordinated. We all have to be ordered in the same way. It doesn't make sense. We prefer it, but you're not free to prefer an inferior cultural stage. Every culture has to keep pace with the general trend. Relay makes actual, uh, Actual, uh, really makes actual a uniformity of development. Okay. It's hard to understand that, but relay makes actual a uniformity of development. It integrates the valid factors and rejects the rest. Uh, and then a skip ahead. Um, uh, the machine is a development of the tool. Rogers went on. The axe is a simple machine. A stick becomes a tool, a simple machine in the hands of a man reaching for something. A machine is merely a multi-element tool that increases the power ratio. Man is the tool-making animal. The history of the of man is the history of tools into machines, greater and more efficient functioning elements. If you reject machinery, you reject man's essential key. So this is the philosophy of the galactic culture that is uniform is that we have to accept all technology, right? It has to, it, uh, if you reject any particular tech, then you are rejecting your essential nature. And that's the schism between Williamson's world and the rest of the g- galaxy, right? And yet, uh, as we see by that 
uh, sort of happy ending, which is pretty hilarious after they literally just genocided a whole planet full of people for basically not wanting to not be Amish anymore, um, is that, oh, there's actually a, a counterbalancing to that, which is sort of a sentimental interest in the novel um, and the unique and the strange and the handmade, right? So this is this is um, a schism that we see in people. I like having cheap food that I don't have to grow myself. On the other hand, I also like having uh, food that I made myself and I grew in my own garden. How can I reconcile these two things? Well, one way is to say, no, robots should do everything and carry me around and do everything for me. And I don't, I shouldn't have or have to lift a finger. I need to automate my entire home, have Alexa run everything, and I should only watch Amazon Prime because <laughs> any folk dances that I go to locally are inferior because they're not as technologically advanced. Or I can but, go the other way and become a granola cruncher and move to the country, right? What, what, what are my options? Sorry, say again. Well, Evan. if you let Alexa do everything for you, let Alexa run your house and mm-hmm. do your job for you, like automate your job, and mm-hmm. then you're free to go make your little, your, your little handicrafts in the basement or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I leave my house automated with a robot me in it, and then I go out in the countryside and and do what I want yeah. free of Alexa. Well, that, that that's the funny part is when when Williamson or when uh, Rogers lands on the planet, he's driven there by a chauffeur, right, a robot pilot, um, and then he's driven around by a regular guy who rolls down the electric windows on his electric car for him, right. And then they go to his house where he sees a bunch of ladies. Some of them are dried up and old and some of them are hot and young. Um, and he sees the murals on the wall and he ha- eats their very delicious bread and the food that they made locally. And then he says, yep, uh, here are our demands and we're going to nuke you. <laughs> so it's, it's actually a very ham handed kind of ham fisted story. Uh, but it's probably because it's so short. Like this is novel length ideas in a, super short story and he doesn't he doesn't say there is only the one way but he's very skeptical of just accepting whatever technology is thrown at you all the time this is the what we were talking about before the podcast mike where you have to get a new car every four years because of planned obsolescence Mm -hmm. right (laughs) your car only lasts four years did uh uh dick do this uh, during a tube area or transistor area era? Well, 54, uh, they would have had transistors, but it, it's still a tube era, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they're definitely, I mean, and uh, he is, he is that guy at the radio repair shop in a certain sense too, mm-hmm. right? He's in the back room yeah. of the music. Which, which goes back to the time out of joint. Out of, like, yeah, radio. Yeah. He, he likes to tinker with things. He likes to be able to see that the rut. Yeah, the variable man is about a guy who can actually open up the back of the radio set and and fix it and upgrade it and make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, which which uncomfortably makes makes our modern day where where companies are trying to make it illegal to open up and fix your own stuff. It's really interesting. Reason. If you buy a new car today, you they'll open the hood for you, and there's like a plastic cover that makes it look neat, but. That plastic cover is there to make it look neat. 
right? It's not as soon as a mechanic goes under there, he just throws it off and plugs it into the diagnose the diagnostic thing. That plastic cover doesn't do anything other than make it look neat, right? And there there was a uh, I believe it was a a German automaker that actually said you're not supposed to open the hood of your own car, right? That that's only to be done at the <laughs> at the fact uh, at the repair dealer. Right. If they have to do any, cause there's no, there's no serv- user serviceable equipment under there. Like that's where we are now, right? Where you've got a sealed iPhone and, uh, iPad, uh, the, uh, Apple store will allow you to have them replace your battery for you, but you can't do it yourself. Yeah. It's like, uh, don't fix it, throw it away. Yeah. It, it yeah, is that, yeah, that's uh, a, even better though. Same. You bring it back to the Apple store and they make you buy a new phone, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. We'll give you $25 off for a new That's phone. exactly right. So you're stuck in the ecosystem, and if you don't want to be part of it, we'll fucking nuke you. <laughs> wow. There's a way to go. Um, but I, I think though having him, having them nuke this planet is also a, a point is like, what are they, they're LARPing around, as Evan's saying, you know, uh, they, they're, they're, they're getting into duels and, uh, local clan tribes. You're yeah, doing medieval world absolutely. From West world. It, uh, and but they're doing it as. Uh, what I was so interested in this guy is um, uh, the what's the name of the guy who uh, he talks to Frank uh, Williamson. What's his name? Evan. It's not Evan Williamson. What is it? Williamson Junior. <laughs> it's not Williamson Junior. <laughs> He's the descendant, right? Yeah, his name is Williamson. Descendant. He's got another name. Um, he's super, um, oh yeah, here's my note. Self-aware much? Uh, uh, just what do you fight for? This is on page 46. Gene Williamson is the Yeah, Gene, you're right. Just what do you fight for? Williamson shrugged. Some real things like land and women, some imaginary. (laughs) Prestige, for instance. When honor is at stake, we have an official, official semi-annual public battle. A man from each family takes part, the best warrior and his weapons, like the medieval joust. We've drawn from all traditions, human tradition as a whole. Does each family have its separate deity? <laughs> Williamson laughed. No, we worship in a common of vague animism. <laughs> Self-aware much? Uh, a sense of general positive vitality in the universal process. He held up a loaf of bread. Thanks for all this. Uh, we gr- which you grew yourselves on a planet provided us, uh, on a planet provided for us. And then he goes into the, um, uh, the difficulty of their planet. Cigar, Williamson said when the empty bowls had been pushed back. Thanks, Rogers accepted the cigar noncommittally. Williamson lit his own and settled back against the wall. How long are you staying? He asked presently. Not long, Rogers answered. There's a bed fixed up for you. Williamson said, we retire early, but there'll be some kind of dancing. Also, I love it. He says it's some kind of dancing, even though this is the guy who's actually does the dancing, right? Uh, he doesn't, he's like so self-aware. Um, we do, somebody has got to stop playing with stuff on their desk. Uh, we devote a lot of time to staging and producing drama. You place an emphasis on psychological release. We enjoy making and doing things. If that's what you mean, Roger stared about him. The walls were covered with murals painted directly on a rough wood. So I see, he said, 
You grind your own colors from clay and berries? Not quite, Williamson replied. We have a big pigment industry. <laughs> so it, it is a, they have these factories that we don't get to see, right? Where they make all the uh, materials for doing their art. They, yeah, they're not living in the 14th century. They're just per se, but they're just having the trappings of the 14th century. But they're, they're, it's like they're really self-aware. They're, they're post-modern, uh, right? So they say, yeah, I'm living in uh, sort of a, a LARPing life. It's, it'd be like seeing Worf saying, I'm going to have to have my uh, head ridges uh, pumped up by Dr. Pulaski after, after <laughs> this, <laughs> after this uh, shift. Uh, Captain, um, you may be interested in how my head ridges are a tradition. <laughs> We're going back several generations. Do you think that, uh, you know, these people are very fatalistic? In other words, they know what's going to happen. Yeah, they, uh, that's why he they, says a they, vague animism. They believe in a vague animism. <laughs> Nobody who, who's an animist says I'm a vague animist, <laughs> right? They're totally but, self-aware. But yeah, they're, but they know that uh, it's going to come to an end. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they do. Right, because but but, but, we'll they, fight but you. they fight. They set they send up their primitive rockets, yeah. which tries to stop stop the. But that's the why he's ship. the young, he's the oldest man. He's the head of the family, but he's also very young. And he says, "Well, that's because we all go get ourselves killed for no reason." <laughs> it's he like he's fine with it. Of, of Doctor Futurity. But tell me, you have? Do you know this book? I do by Philip Dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where uh, the guys. Zap to the future, some contrivance mm-hmm. sends this 20th century doctor to the far future. And it's all about time travel and stopping Cortez or something like that. Captain Cook mm-hmm. stopping some Spanish explorer, some English guy. Or just Drake, right? They're trying Drake, to, yeah. It's Drake. Yeah, trying to stop Drake. Drake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something about you got the Indians like going back in time trying to stop Drake. That's like one part of the plot. It's a very messy novel. Yeah. But. The the thing that shocks him when he gets there is like everyone's young and and they it's like as soon as they get sick or injured they just die and they're always right. like fighting. That's right. And it's like a weird kind of but, but like Darwinian logic, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. every time someone dies, they just take the like the best gametes and make someone new. So mm-hmm. it's like supposed to improve the the race, but it's sort of static and stagnant culturally at the same time. But yeah, every, like yeah, everyone's sort of LARPing there too. It's like mm. they just live to fight these clan battles and things. And it's, well, would you say that it's the, such a weird mixed novel? But there's signs what, of that novel in this story. Would you say that uh, samurais from the middle Middle Ages Japan are LARPing though? Because that's the that's the reality that they're born into, right? That you know, right. no. But I would say samurais in the Tokugawa are. Yeah. Okay. So that's the like late nineteenth uh, century. So if you know Japanese history, so after the Tokugawa, after the like a century of civil war, the Tokugawa created a new shogunate, and you have all these samurai because of the civil war. All these people were promoted into the samurai class because they could have weapons, and you needed more people to fight the wars. And then after the war, you had this huge class. It's like ten percent of the Japanese population or something were samurai, and so some were. They use different political ways to basically demote some of these people, but mostly you're stuck with them mm. once they got the noble title. 
And so they were given like bureaucratic jobs, but they could walk around the city. They're like dandies, like going to opera and whatever mm-hmm. and buying stuff and maintaining their nice this household. Is, this is what they turns the them into the Japanese where, of World War II, too, right? So you, you've yeah. got these uh, bonsai charges where they know they're going to get slaughtered, but they do it anyways. It is a LARP, but it's a f- dangerous LARP. Yeah. <laughs> a very dangerous LARP. That's really yeah, interesting. I knew a woman I, who was married. I knew a woman who was uh, married to a kamikaze. He didn't come back. <laughs> well, not surprising. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would be very shameful for them to come back because that's your culture. Yeah. yeah. Come come back with your shield or on it, as the Spartans said. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's another LARPing culture for sure, right? Um, but the thing is, is I feel like if you were born on Williamson's world, you would you could say, you know what? Uh, where's my rum, rung springer? You know, where I get to go off and head to the city and then choose whether I'm going to be a an Amish or not, right? There is this... The, they, they're kind of, they kind of, they kind of. I mean, they kind of have decided as a society to stay on that planet, and they know about the galactic civilization, but nobody goes there. So the idea it's, is like it's just so much a superior place, is what we're supposed to think, I guess. But the thing is, is I, I'm not so confident that anybody knows really w- what they're doing. So, like, if you if you say we're, we're definitely we're hyper confident that we live in the best culture, you know. Uh, Americans uh, will sometimes say, uh, "America, love it or go move to Cuba." <laughs> if you love Cuba, if you love communism so much, go to Cuba, right? And or the thing is, oh, well, of course, but the thing is, is there are actually people who do that, right? And they they are. Um, I was just reading about another of those uh, Korean War uh, crime novels that uh, sh- showed up on LibriVox, and it sounds like a really good book. Uh, or maybe it was just an audiobook or a book I was reading that should be on Liverox. And it was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Um, it's about a guy who was surprised that some people didn't, uh, didn't just come back. They just stayed in Korea, right? Uh, as, uh, as defectors. Well, when you have like people defecting, it actually affects you, right? So all the people who left Soviet R- Russia or East Germany, if you see mm-hmm. people emigrating out of your country, especially like, uh, then they put up a wall and say you can't emigrate. That actually like says, well, what is it so awesome over there that I need to go? Right. So if you've got a culture where nobody emigrates, I say, why is that culture so awesome? Why well, don't I need to go there? So like, there are people who left Japan and you know, went to North America, and they still do. Not very many, though, compared to what they used to. And yet, Japan doesn't accept emigres, right? You can't move into Japan. You can go there on a work visa, but you will never become a permanent resident of Japan. It's it's just something they don't do. So what is it? Is their culture superior? It makes this question, right? Here, they're saying there are you're not even allowed to question. And that's why at the end, when they, we have these two souvenirs, one that she's going to wear to a party and they say, where did you get that material? It's not on the galactic relay. It, it, we, we get the sense that, oh, this will spark something. But 
in reality, what it probably would do if this society was to be taken seriously, they would probably just come into her house and take that away from her and maybe blow her up. Right? Yeah, it's going to be at best a a, a party party conversation and nothing more. It's not going to change society that she has this souvenir. Well, it's 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 like the seed, I think is the idea. It's the seed. Yeah. But they're so worried about one planet that's completely dis like it uh, the US government doesn't really worry about the Amish. <laughs> right? It's uh, capitalist realism just bulldozes over everything. They haven't particularly turned their attention to the Amish cuz there's still lots of things to bulldoze. Um, well, the the, the 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 Amish have embraced capitalism. I mean, I mean, there's an industry here in Minnesota of selling of the Amish they selling engage. furniture. I think they engage with they capitalism. Engage. I don't so think you, they have you, embraced you can, it. You can buy Amish furniture down in uh, Lanesboro. In yeah, but nobody's nobody's uh, buying Amish trucks. <laughs> they don't, they don't, no, nobody's buying Amish trucks. I mean, maybe the movie industry buys them every once in a while, right? Probably rent them, um, but. They're all the fact that they make their own vehicles and they make their own power, right? By breeding horses, it's because they choose. They're deliberately choosing not to engage with capitalist capitalism, right? They don't want to be subject to gas prices. They are immune to gas prices. They they make their own fertilizer, right? They don't buy fertilizer from outside, so. This story is a more of a sketch for than a reality, but it's so interesting. Very, very good story by Mr. P.K. Dick. I like it. He is. And very different. It's, it, it is science fiction, but like he just does it so differently than everybody else. His characters are so weird, too. <laughs> I got the sense that that girl at the dinner table... She was like, she was uh, gonna steal him away and have sex with him. That would have been very dick, yeah. right? Because she's like, you can sit by me, and he's no, I'm the head of the household. I, <laughs> and he's like, we are a patriarchy. You know this. We are a patriarchy. <laughs> like anybody's in a patriarchy doesn't say we're in a patriarchy, and I'm the head of the household. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's also LARPing. There's yes, probably total gender equality, but yeah, we, we pretend. Patriarchy, yeah, uh, which is which is hilarious because uh, I'm going to make a wood. Uh, oh. It's funny. There are two wooden cups in the story, right? One is the one that uh, Rogers gets, and the other is the one that uh, Matson gets. Um, I I do want to take issue with something that uh, Rogers says. What did he say? Um, he's at the dinner. He says. We have a homogenous culture like that of ancient Rome, a common culture for all mankind mm. which maintained throughout the galaxy. That, if you know anything about the Roman Empire, is yeah. not true. I mean, as long as you obeyed the Roman Empire and worshipped the emperor as a deity, the Romans allowed you your own local culture. And so, I mean, I mean, from from Britain to Syria, there was lots of different cultures to uh, to deal with within within the Roman Empire. I mean. Yeah, so that's a question of what's Dick's impression of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. I suppose. What did he read about the Roman Empire? Because yeah, this isn't the only time he says it. This is an example of where if you, you, you see later ideas developed in some of his later works that you see shadows of in earlier works. Because the Black Iron Prison is 
there's often that Roman metaphor for it, right? Yeah. Like the Roman so, Empire never ended stuff. And and that was right. kind of the the this universal homogenous culture. Yeah, right? the That's Roman Empire was kind of the Black Iron like Prison that. and Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just is that what Dick thought the Roman Empire was? Yeah, yes, probably. I did. think so. But yeah, it's just, but a, it just I think he off. maybe gets this from this idea of like because one thing that you do have in the Roman Empire is this expanding idea of who's a Roman, right? It starts right. out just if you're of the of the of the city, and then it's of Italy, and eventually, and was it two twenty one? You'd know the exact date. Everyone who's not a slave is made a citizen. Like yes, made a yeah, the, the, the expand, but obviously, yeah, Roman. the cultures within it are very, very diverse, and the borders are really liquid and all that. Um, I just wonder if we should be too harsh on Dick. No, for this. I mean, he might have been just, just based on what he knows, way. what he yeah, read. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of old textbooks get Rome wrong, baby wrong. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to make sure for our <laughs> listeners that yes, this is not right. I know it's not mm-hmm. right. I, I, I like I'm pretty it. sure he read like a lot of Toynbee and and I'd be interested in like, uh, reading I have Toynbee issues and with Twi- I, I have a little bit of issues with Toynbee, but you know. Yeah, but I think that's one of Dick's major sources of so, so, world history. Yeah. I mean he's not re- I mean he mentions I mean, Toynbee directly in, in some several of his books. I, I the one that I, I noted right at the beginning, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be a Prester John story. And then I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I had forgotten that he actually calls out Prester. It has seemed like Prester John's empire, a fabulous world cut off from the rest of humanity. Um, if we found Prester John's world today, that would be a story, right? So this, somehow they accidentally walked through a, a portal in Africa and, and it, look, it's Wakanda, except it's Prester John. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there would um, be well, a kind of capitalist realism engagement with it in the same way that there would be here, right? They would say, well, what can we trade with Prester John and his kingdom? And it, well, would, kind of, it would be weird yeah, because it, it would go from like novelty, uh, like aren't these people quaint? Suddenly it would be like, uh, they are the fifth block or something. <laughs> we have to have a war with them for no reason. Um, Jesse, I've brought up the, the role-playing game Traveler before. I'm going to bring it up here. Yeah, I played Dad. it. I played it. Okay, so do, you, so do you remember the early history of, man, I mean, or long before the Third Imperium, basically the First Imperium. Do you remember the First Imperium? No. Okay, the First Imperium, I mean, long before, remember, man gets taken off, lots of men get taken off Earth in prehistory by the by um the ancients and gets seeded throughout the galaxy which is why you have humans everywhere mm-hmm. but the first galactic empire is not humanity on earth it's the humanity on the planet of the land to get a galactic civilization first mm-hmm. and they get a galactic empire first so when man comes out of earth they run into a giant galactic empire it's like what the hell that's been around for tens of thousands of years so when the for the Lani come to visit Earth and they look at things like the pyramids, it's like, oh, that's quaint. They're only 5,000 years old. Well, that's quaint. And the man's like, what? He's like, this is the oldest stuff we got. And you think it's just like nothing. Of course, then, of course, Earth goes on and defeats the Galactic Empire and plunges the galaxy into chaos for a couple thousand years, you know, as man does. But it's just like that culture shock. Like, oh, God, there's people out here and they've been out and colonizing the galaxy for when we were just when we thought the water wheel was a good idea. Yeah, that's what that's the uh the 
here's the pioneer. Evan, you in your podcast, you compared it to Roanoke. Um, but the, yeah. it's like the Roanoke colony suddenly reappeared, right? Um, yeah. Here's, here's, uh, this is on page 49. This is sort of the premise of the story. You'd destroy us to avoid war? We'd destroy anything to avoid war. We can't permit our society to degenerate into bickering provinces, forever quarreling and fighting like your clans. We're stable because we lack the very concept of variation. Which is hilarious. Uniformity must be preserved and separation must be discouraged. The idea itself must remain unknown. Williamson was thoughtful. Do you know, do you think you can keep the idea unknown? There are so many so many semantic correlatives hints verbal leads even if you blast us it may arise somewhere else so the word souvenir is one of these hints and moral leads right Mm -hmm. a verbal leads not moral leads what were you going to say evan um i well i i don't remember but i could say that this this is very much the logic of the nation state and how the nation state functions and Mm -hmm. Homogenizes culture, especially with language politics, right? Why are we losing languages every day? It's because the nation state forces everyone to go to public school. Right. So you must learn the national national language. So I, I it's kind of overblown here in mm-hmm. how the this galactic empire is described and a bit preposterous at times. It's like oh, we can't have any deviation. Um, but I you do see that at work in many nation states, you know. Yeah, like but the, pre- the, the premise Tamil, is that right, war. Singly. The premise is that. Yeah. The, the premise is that war is a result of cultural difference, right? Which I think is absolutely not true. I think that. Oh yeah. There, yeah. there are yeah. possibilities of cultural conflict because of cultural difference, right? We like to marry our child brides at age thirteen. You like fourteen. Let's go to war. That's possible. Right. Um, but the opposite, which keeping everything, everything the same, cultural variation must be avoided if the galaxy is to have peace, um, is, doesn't seem to prevent war either because they just fucking nuked a planet. Right. What do they have these patrol ships for? To go around financing cultural nonconformity. So it's, it's not war when we are nuking our own people. That's basically what they're saying. Right, when like when a, the police bomb like this, Britannica, right? Uh, sorry, go for Pax it. Britannica. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's peace, you know. Right. In okay. Europe. A suppression of a rebellion in, in India is not war. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, hey, we're doing a police action in Asia. Mike, you want to come? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what well, could I, go I, wrong? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going to go with MacArthur. And he said. <laughs> Don't ever get involved in another Asian war. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Nothing could possibly go yeah, wrong. Yeah, nothing can go wrong. We, as long as we don't call it war, it's not war. <laughs> but I think my point earlier was that nation states make this case all the time, that cultural difference does create disorder. And sure. if we're going to have a, a unified society, we must suppress cultural difference. So I don't think it's true. Yeah, I mean, like, like in terms of like body bags, like the the age of the nation state is far more bloody than like the Middle Ages. The the in phrase, terms of just like bloodshed, yeah. The phrase that 
uh, Canadians associate with the United States is po- cultural policy is its melting pot. And, mm-hmm. uh, since Trudeau senior, um, it in Canada, it was, uh, multiculturalism and, um, the mosaic, right? So government in Canada funds, you know, the festival de bois, which is like when a bunch of Metis jump, jump around and, and in their traditional costumes of toques and such and, and they have a festival where they play rustic music, right? But still, they force all the kids to go to schools. But they have uh, French immersion schools in a part of Canada where there isn't a lot of French because of this. But it is all still official, right? So if you're in your French immersion school, it's a French immersion. It's not whatever re- language you want to do. And the funding still comes from the government. So it's still a kind of... Uh, cultural homogenization. It's just, uh, at a less, less, um, bulldozery method, right? And uh, your cultural funds are, are through the government. And so there's time for corruption. Whereas if you're just doing your culture on your own, there is no, you know, applications for, like, applications for government funding for your culture is a big thing in Canada. Right. You, you, some ethnic group that you want to have a festival, you can apply for money from the government and the government gets a nice little sign and then you have your thing. But it's, it's, it's gamified in a certain sense. Whereas if you're just doing it on your own, you're just doing it on your own. You don't have to apply for a license to have a parade. You just parade. But maybe that's uh, these are like nuances that don't fit into Philip K. Dick's story. He's uh, he's he's more of like this is this is the hammer of of overseas gunboat diplomacy, rather than uh, cultural nuance of you know we can have a, uh, a like what's the for every day of the year there's some sort of cultural holiday right or mm-hmm. what was the one that came up the other day was Earth. Earth Day is Earth what, Day. April 22nd, and there was some guy saying, I think I might have sent this to Evan, some guy was saying the reason that this was chosen as the date is because it was Lenin's 100th birthday, and they wanted to suppress that. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, how can we prove it? I don't know. But it is, it's not a complete coincidence that the first Earth Day was Lenin's 100th birthday. Um, and it was tied in with the idea of... Um, the population bomb and how Earth Day is sort of tied in with we have to have fewer children or more importantly, you guys, you poors have to have fewer children, perhaps. So, well, well, well I'm going to take exception to it was Lenin's birthday to uh, suppress that because in the United States, April 22nd is also Arbor Day. So that made sense to make Earth Day the same day. Well, um, United States is the one who will do Earth Day, too, though, right? They make Earth right, Day for the right, whole planet, right, not just for right, not just right, for. Right, but, that, uh, their, but that's why that's why I think why April twenty second got chosen. I don't know the history of Arbor Day, but um, suppressing Lenin is definitely something the Americans would like to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> any any celebration of Lenin it must be crushed. Um, well, Arbor Day was Arbor Day goes back um, to the nineteenth century in the United States, so. I don't, I don't think it's I don't, suppression. I don't even know what Arbor Day is. It's basically it's basically April 29th. 
it, it, it Arbor, Arbor Day basically celebrates uh, the planting of trees. It's the 29th, not the 22nd. It, 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 the date varies, but it has oh, been. Okay. It has been as early as the as April twentieth. So they picked an Arbor Day and and tied Earth dates permanently to that date. So what what do you do on Arbor Day other than plant trees? That's 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 basically what Arbor Day's deal is. Basically, oh, oh now 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 I'm googling this. Oh, apparently there's been Arbor Days in in Spain and other places. Yeah, there's a for long hundreds list. of years. So so yeah. So this whole this 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 whole Earth Day is to suppress Lenin's birthday. I think is complete and utter. Well, sure. I think you should have. Well, May Day certainly was suppressed, and I think you should yeah, probably May, investigate May, it. May, yeah, yes, May Day and what it is and what it's what it's all about, just like Labor Day, are are suppressed. I'll give you those for sure, but I don't think. Earth Day I think is you need to investigate before you just assume that. Otherwise, you're going to get no, yourself no, but, into but, trouble. It, it it it's it sounds way too conspiracy theory. Like, oh yes, we're going to have. We're gonna have Earth Day, and we're gonna suppress Lenin's birthday. It's just that that I looked all, into it a little bit, and it, it it's not conclusive, but it is su- like the first Earth Day was the hundredth birthday of Len- Lenin. Uh, hundred, you know, Lenin was a big deal in the Soviet Union, right? Really big deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so they would have celebrations for all their heroes, especially on their hundredth birthday. So we have 420. We have 420. Yeah, right. Like uh, that's a that's one that continues to be popular, even though uh, here it's legalized, right, completely across the country. Um, but you can apply for money to get your 420 celebrations and have your giant marijuana cigarette uh, and make a mess. Fine, it's fine, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know enough about it to say definitively, but hundredth birthday seems seems like a thing. And you know, uh, you it, know, it, it just sounds. It, I, mean, I want to point out exactly what you're mm. going to say, Paul. Um, the word conspiracy theory is used by the CIA to say that conspiracy theories are always wrong. It's it's something that played up. But the thing is, is conspiracies actually do happen, right? And a lot of them are done by shadowy groups like. The CIA. It's not to say that every uh, every idea that uh, QAnon <laughs> anybody done I mean, is I, always true. But the thing is, is there are like the fact that Biden's la- uh, Hunter Biden's laptop was a uh, um, conspiracy from the Russians. That was not true. It was suppressed, uh, not illegally because it's a private company. But all the you know they. Uh, the oldest newspaper in the United States had its Twitter account removed for for posting something that was true, and it wasn't a conspiracy theory; it was a conspiracy fact. <laughs> Don't believe your lying eyes. That's exactly right. Don't believe your lie. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I'm not even going to let your lying eyes look at these lying documents that are clearly showing Hunter Biden's teeth being replaced. It's really sad. Yeah, so, we've really sunk into a quagmire with the, you know, things are, are so changed. I don't think we'll ever be able to get it back. I, I, I think it's just all being revealed, I think is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. it was not as clear before. We were always doing it, but now it's uh, more out in the open. Yes. And fewer people are 
drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As another conspiracy goes. Although that, you know, I think, I think the, the only people they were lying to there is probably the kids. That, uh, what do you think about that as a LARP, Evan? Which one? Uh, the, uh, Jonestown. Everybody drink this I mean, Kool-Aid. I think it's gotta be a part of it. I, I think. It, it, I don't know. I think people take. It's a dead action role playing. People game. LARP pretty seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think, the thesis we're coming to, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the 19th century samurai or the 20th century Bushido code is LARPing. Right. Like, there was actually a, a Bushido revival after World War II among some, like, conservative Japanese. So we got to go back to this. I forget the name of the guy, but he, like, read all these. Well, Kita Iki was one of the popular writers. He was writing in the 20s, and he's one of the early ones saying we, we need to revive this Bushido spirit. And, and bring back this militarized culture and, and all that. Well, he got his and he, his re, then his re, reading, write, writings were kind of revived, I think, in like the 60s or 70s. Hmm. And like a guy killed himself, like did the the, the stab in his own belly, mm-hmm. seppuku, yeah, self-suicide or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think. Well, what do you think about the. People think uh, LARPing pretty seriously. What are, the, what, I, I think it's, what are those guys, it's, um, the gangsters in Japan called? Japanese yeah, what are But Yakuza? Yakuza, yeah. Like yeah. The, I don't know if that's just culture or reality. I think it is. Well, the, they are uh, a phenomenon within the subculture of Japan, yeah. right? Um, and I'm sure there are some government checks on them. <laughs> However, um, this is a alternative, this is like the alternative way to go. So I always think about the, the Hell's Angels, right? Uh, I really like that the Hell's Angels spelled their name wrong. <laughs> they, for, they forgot the apostrophe. And they say, ah, we know, we don't care. <laughs> That's like literally LARPing it, right? And then they, they ride around on motorcycles, you know, that are loud and noisy. Not because, uh, it's the most efficient way to get from point A to point A B, but because they like it. <laughs> and they hang around with ladies and, you know, throw them on the back of their bikes and, drive off and head to the clubhouse and yeah, they have to engage with capitalist realism once in a while, but really we enjoy ourselves, right? <laughs> you can almost see a Philip K. Dick story writing uh, itself out of this, right? Yes, we know we are crowd you know, drinking ourselves to death, but we like it <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, so the idea of like going through with things, um, even though you know, it's, uh, kind of ridiculous. Um, it shows a commitment that we can kind of appreciate. <laughs> yes, I, I know I don't have to cut off my finger because my boss told me uh, I did a bad job on whatever assignment I was given. But I, I'm already, I have a full body sleeve of tattoos. So I might as well <laughs> sniff it off. <laughs> because what is the other way to go? I, I don't want to play League of Legends all day. <laughs> <laughs> and world's just not doing it for me. <laughs> oh my god! You know it's interesting. You you know talk about clubs. It's like when I was growing up. You know every every guy had his club he went to. My mm-hmm. dad was a mason. Uh, you know elks. and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know yeah yeah. Well, elks are still around out here. Shriners. But uh, mm-hmm. you know the fraternal organizations just. Uh, have 
pretty much gone belly up. I mean, we've yeah. got five of them in this little town, and there's only one still alive. Mm-hmm. But the motorcycle uh, clubs, uh, they keep going. I mean, like downtown, we got uh, special forces. Yeah. Yeah. You got a special forces motorcycle club. These guys are a bunch of rowdies. Not all of them, but uh, you've probably got uh, some very subversive people there. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, since they, they did away with the draft and our military has become a, a military of mercenaries. It has. Uh, it has really, really, really changed. And these guys, you know, they go, you go into military now, you can't afford to get out because you make too much money. Right. And you're you're a whole subculture by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. You become a consultant. Yeah, yes. Which is just another word for a mercenary. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we did a pretty good show on a pretty good story. What do you think? I think it's fantastic. I th- I'm not yeah, sure. I like I th- the story. I think my file might have broke, Paul. So I hope yours is solid. I'm stuck we'll at find out. a certain number of kilobytes, and it's not grown in any substance. So I'm going to press stop. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. It was just lying to me. As many things oh, do, ah, my lying eyes lied to me again. I will uh, send you the recording in any event. Thank you, sir. When is when is this going to play? Because About I have seven months. <laughs> so yeah, but, so you know, you'll, you'll probably still be eighty one. Well, I have I have a friend I, I went to high school with, uh-huh. and uh, you know she was uh, uh, has a five beta kappa key. And was a professor of uh, uh, American uh, uh, literature, uh-huh. and she is overwhelmed by technology. Totally overwhelmed. Yeah, and if you let it slip away, you know, like just a little hint. Like if you go away for six months and you're not on the ball, you can totally get in a loss. Yeah, you know, it's like she. Uh, uh, probably took her computer that operated on uh, what's that old operating system that uh dos <laughs> well no not, not dos i mean it was the windows uh didn't last very long uh-huh but you know i mean it's just uh and i don't know if she's got dementia you know she can talk to her you know and everything seems really really got together but she's my age uh-huh and i really feel sorry for her because you know she could get so much out of listening to, you know, a podcast like this. Well, uh, uh, I can send her the one uh, we did last time that's coming out tomorrow. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to send you the link for that now. Let me just dig it up. Um, yeah, if, if she can figure it out. Well, if you uh, just send her the link, it, it, it might, uh, you know, if you just send the MP3 file, it might just, like, yeah. um, uh, start playing, depending on how old her browser is. Um, well, no, she, she's strictly on her phone. Uh, it should start playing on her phone. Yeah, if, if, if you if you do phone. the MP3 file. Yeah. 
you know, it's like uh, she's got a super smart daughter. And uh, yeah, somebody needs to set up a lot of people just to make their things play. You know, like my mom's kept up with it. She listens to podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, So, yeah, the last of the masters is coming out tomorrow. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's a good story. Uh, Really good story. Yeah, it is. All right. So where's the file? Okay. All right. I have to go, guys. All right. I'll see you later for game, Paul. Don't take your games too seriously. No, that's right. I'm not cutting off my finger. What's that movie with with Tom Hanks where he's going to jump off the bridge? Uh, They're an anti D and D movie. Oh, oh you're talking about mazes and monsters. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, no. based on a based on a book I read that was based, based, based wrong. But, but now I, I've, I've actually saying that maybe the the Christian conservatives who said we got to watch out, people are taking this role playing too seriously. Maybe they were right. I mean, Bushido cut, a Samurai. lot of people have a no. lot of D and D in their life, right? And uh, Ren fairs are kind of like that, except they don't do them all day. Remember, there was a, a, a lady who was on the Judge Ito uh, trial. I think it was a Judge Ito trial of uh, O.J. Simpson. There's a le- maybe mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a different one. There was a lady who wore her Star Trek uniform to jury duty. I don't think that was oh. a Judge Ito trial, but yes, but but no, I don't take it that seriously. It's just a game. <laughs> You don't wear a pan on your ass all the time? Because I do, in case somebody shoots me. Um, that's, that, that is your PUBG life, Jesse. I respect your choices. I'm, I'm going to go hop in my glider right now, Paul. Sure, Jesse. Sure. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Um, who are these, like, what's that term, ride or die? Ride or die, yeah. Yeah, yeah. these, you know, kind of gangster groupies or something. Mm. Well, to. Take the fall for their man. Or what? what, what did y'all see there's, that? There's Mad a lot Max going on there. I mean, it's what was that like, last Mad Max movie, Fury Road? They had uh, sort of a cult of uh, a speed. Yeah, that's right. And like the guys inhaling like paint fumes to make his nose chromy. <laughs> yeah, and then they die, right? Yeah, and then they die, <laughs> <laughs> which is a LARP, right? Uh, so I just sent you. They have the, druids. They have this guy playing like the. In the, the chat, uh, br- uh, Mike, there's that yeah, MP3 file. So if you sent her just that, it might just pop up on her phone and start playing. Yeah, well, we'll see if she can uh, get beyond that because I mean, she got two problems. One is that uh, she's technologically stifled, and the other thing is, as an old person, she shakes. So you know, you got to play the shakes when you're trying to. Yeah, my mom's super she, shaky. That's yeah. why she likes her Alexa so much. She talks talks to, talk to it. Talks to her robots all day long. Oh jeez. Yeah, and it's so fucking stupid. Alexa, she says it's getting better all the time. Like it's still fucking stupid. <laughs> all, it, it can read to me a Wikipedia entry, but like if I ask, you know, uh, when was uh, is some sort of complex question? It it just goes to these really bad forums that always don't get the right answer. Yeah. Um, what was the, what? So was the uh, jury duty duty uh, Star Trek uniform? It must not have been Judge Ito. Okay. It, no, I don't think it was Star Trek uniform lady. <laughs> uh, 
Barbara Adams arrived at uh, oh Whitewater. Aha! All right. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if she's wearing a, that uniform with pride now that Picard's on. <laughs> Barbara Adams, a Star Trek fan who arrived for jury duty at the Whitewater Trials, Governor Jim Guy Tucker in Little Rock, wearing a Star Trek uniform. She was a member of the International Federation of Trekkers, a fan organization uh, with a focus on service. Adams was ultimately dismissed from the jury pool for talking to the press. In 1997, she was interviewed for the film series Trekkies. Uh, comments to the treks. Uh, it makes fans look bad. Oh, there's lots of quotes here. She was stupid or crazy. A way to get out of jury duty. Older women shouldn't act like that. <laughs> Grandstanding for attention. Open minds are lack thereof. You know, I'm 81 years old and I've never been on jury. Uh, yeah, I've never co- been on a jury either. I was defense I- counsel in the army for a month. Wow. Got some of these guys off. Nice. But, yeah, I mean, I it's a lot uh, of jury summonings, but I, I always move. I, mm, I, yeah. like I'm never living in the same place more than a few years. So I would always get these forwarded to me and I'd have to like send back a note saying, right. I don't live here anymore. Yeah. Barbara. I don't know how that's handled. If you don't show up for jury duty, if you're summoned, I wonder if she's like a bench warrant out. Yeah. Get arrested and have to have to have a trial, and then they get a jury, and then they can't get any jury. <laughs> <laughs> Trekker. Yes, uh, th- th- my town is going through that now. We have six lawsuits against the uh, oh Jesus pervert that uh, was the city manager, and uh, this is probably yeah. not going to be in the outro show. By the way, yeah, well, probably they're, not. They're, <laughs> Unless it's really well, interesting. Actually, what, what happens is the insurance company settles, and then it goes away, and there's nothing mm-hmm. come of it. But it still costs us a lot, a lot of money. Sure. Well, see, Cal, Cal, uh, Florence, where I live, is a Colorado statutory city with a strong city manager form of government. And by strong city manager, that means this guy has absolute power. And uh, he works for the city council, but that's seven of us, you know, and you really need having seven people try to supervise you. So he just was, uh, yeah, he, had, he was really Mr. Groomer. Uh, groomer, wow. Yeah, he was a groomer. Wow, that's, that's, that's a slur, sir. You, you can't say yeah. the G word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I like, <clears throat> you know, it's like all all these women who looked alike kept showing up at City Hall. You know, oh, and it was a Mike Patterson preferred. <laughs> oh, my. So she was a yeah. bindery supervisor in Little Rock, Arkansas. She beamed oh, herself yeah. into the national spotlight when she, <laughs> when she showed up to her jury duty in her Star Trek The Next Generation uniform. What rank did she have, though? That's my question. How come How come everybody's always a lieutenant commander or a commander? Nobody's ever, a, like, a buck private. <laughs> Our, uh, oh, Evan, we didn't get to talk about your, um, your uh, Star Trek episode that you thought was tied to this. Oh, yeah, we didn't. What was the um, name of that episode? That's the well, we'll put it in the post show here. Well, that's the that's the that's the the 
It's the one where Riker has sex. It's I know. Worf, but... It's the one where, yeah, but it's where Worf. <laughs> I think this episode's most known because is it the Pulaski? It's second season, so it's yeah. Doctor Pulaski. I think is that the one where Worf is breaks his back or something. He gets the he measles or something. Suicide? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's larping it. He's larping it. Yeah, well, that that actually yeah. B story fits now, doesn't it? Is that a different one? No, Maybe, I think I that's. Think that's I, pressure. Let I me think, read it. Yeah. Okay. Um. As the Enterprise approaches the planet, Worf collapses on the bridge. When he regains consciousness and sick, but he's embarrassed to admit suffering a Klingon equivalent of measles. Up the long so ladder is the name of this episode. agrees to protect his privacy and gratitude. Gives her a... Oh, so it's it's not the one where he breaks his back. That's Crusher. But it's oh. a similar idea. Somehow the pride of... Like, Klingons can't show their weakness or something. Um, but the main plot here is they find... Like, this... They find a colony of... 22nd century, basically, they're like Odonians almost, right? They're, they're like, don't want to be part of Earth anymore, go off to settle a new planet. So they're early colonists, like pre-warp, I guess, right? Mm. They find a planet, they settle there, and they kind of vanish. And then they're found by the Enterprise. And they can't stay there because the sun's going to explode or something, stupid thing like that. Yeah, And then... And they move them. So th- this is there's another episode sort of like that, but it's a prime directive episode in mm. season seven where yeah, there's that's a planet Vulcans. That they, they They're move, Vulcans right. though, right? Is it Vulcans? I thought they were like Vulcans. Oh yeah, Proto Vulcans. But it was like Worf's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Worf's or human brother. Yeah, yeah. Step brother. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. That's brother. not a that's not yeah. a Proto Vulcan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, Anyways, in this episode, they're like Irish. Somehow mm-hmm. they kept Irish culture. That's right. And they're they're sort of LARPing Irish culture, yep. even though it's like 19th century Irish culture, right? With the yep. animals and the accents and everything, yes. the music. And it's... And the scolding it's kinda, women. It's a little bit cringy. <laughs> yeah. A, it's wonderfully women. cringy. And, it's one uh, they wouldn't do today. Yeah. And this is... I always thought like the Riker as a, as, as a horned dog is a bit over... Stated, kind of the same way with Kirk. Well, that's like, your whole book, bud. You better, you better. Yeah, but I don't think it's just plow into it. I think it's a whole, <laughs> whole lot of horny characters. Sure, sure. Trek. No, but he's Thankfully, the. It's not just Riker. He needs to be. But on the Riker cover. definitely bangs this Irish, this LARPing Irish woman. Sinead O'Reilly. No, that's not her name. That's a, some other character. Um. Yeah. No. She, um. And it, LARP, that's a uh, match. Oh, LARP live action role playing. Yeah, we've been saying that all the whole time. Yeah, LARP, L-A-R-P. So yeah, so it's yeah. basically you get the blue hair, or you get on the Star Trek uniform, and you say uh, that is not very logical, uh, Mister Vendetti. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> and then they do the Vulcan salute to you, <laughs> and they say live long and prosper instead of saying goodbye. <laughs> oh, is this also the episode where they they? They they spread their DNA to like the the. I, I, isn't the there like another colony yeah. of like stuck up yeah, people there's the clones who, and yeah they don't have like, sex they're all inbred yeah they're inbred clones and they they're having and so like they, some kind they of, do some mixing. So yeah, apparently after the credits, there's a big orgy on this planet. The name of the uh, the so the two That's colonies one is called the Bringloid the and then the other ones are the Mariposans. Well, I don't know what Bringloidi is, but Mariposa is Spanish for butterfly, right? 
Uh, so they're they're not into sex. They uh, they yeah they like, think it's gross or something. Yeah, right. And whereas the call. Irish are like they're all hot for each other. The Catholic, you know, it's a Catholic planet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my starving Irish children need to have more <laughs> sex with these butterflies. <laughs> so yeah, this is an episode they can't do today. First of all, because they yeah. they don't have any ideas, and second of all, because it might offend somebody. Oh, Melinda Snodgrass wrote this one. Uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, oh, what the story was intended to be commentary about immigration because she hated the xenophobic attitude she was seeing. Uh, we don't want them because they're the wrong color, don't speak the language, or don't have the right religion. In her opinion, what makes America vibrant is the fact that we have all these cultures. The original title was Send in the Clones. <laughs> no. <laughs> Up the Long Ladder was taken from the Irish anti-Protestant rhyme. Up the Long Ladder, Down the Short Rope, to Hell with King Billy. Three cheers for the Pope. <laughs> I didn't know that. I guess I didn't cover You're this one. Looking up, this, this woman, Brina, is her name. That's the Irish, uh, the daughter Irish. of, the, of the, the king. She's got quite a lot of midriff showing here. Wow. It's fond memories of this episode. <laughs> I've been like 12. So. <laughs> Rosalind Landor playing Bren- Brenna Odell. Rosalind. Yeah, but that's the other thing. Like, she seduced Riker. It's not Riker yes. seduces her. It's a matriarchal planet, or at least they push the men around. Because they're yeah. not drinking all the time. Like the men mm-hmm. are. Yeah, they brace. That's part of the LARPing, right? It's like we're going to be Irish, so we're just going to drink all day. Oh, this is uh, <laughs> so. Isn't uh, St. Patrick's Day like an excuse for everybody to LARP? Being the stereotype of a of a yeah. Irish person. Oh, I'm wearing green. Shiver my timbers. <laughs> <laughs> Shiver my timbers isn't even Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't know that, Jesse. <laughs> I know it's so funny. Um, uh, you you don't um, you don't play up your Italian roots all the time, uh, Mike. But um, uh, when you're making pizza or pasta, do you like put on an Italian accent? No, I don't even have a don't even have a good Italian accent. You know, Damn it. I've got this uh, gal that uh, uh, like my partner with. Mm-hmm. You know, she does the female part of our audiobooks. Right, right. And she she really gets into the accents. Yeah, they're it's fun. Like, uh, I, yeah, they are. And uh, I had uh, The Sun Also Rises uh, reviewed. Mm-hmm. And he got a, a pretty good review. He says, well, I don't like Hemingway, but I sure like uh, Vendetti and uh, mm. uh, the gal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review the performance. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a, we got a we got a really really Kathy Berduiner is her name, and we got a really good review from him. Nice. That for Hemingway, we didn't uh, like. Yeah, I mean he's I like him, but I don't want to read him all the time. I find his yeah. stuff to be it's not sterile. It's just not sparky, you know. Yeah, uh, it's well, super yeah, clean, it's a, and he's he's got ideas for sure, but he's not my favorite writer. Well, you know, what I used for the uh, retail sample of the book was his uh, description of a bullfight. 
mm. you know, which he really, really got into. And it was right. really, really good. Uh, the rest of the book is a bunch of drunks talking to one another. Yeah, which is basically his life, I think. <laughs> other, yeah. than, other than going to bullfights and getting shot up in World War II or World War One, I, I should say. World War One, WW One. Yeah, he, he was an ambulance driver. Yeah, I think I think they said he got one of his balls shot off or blown off or something. Well, in uh, uh, the sun also rises. He's impotent, so he's got this really hot chick. Oh, Brett. you got to write and a novel well, if you got that problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, I I can't do anything with you right now. I'll, I'll go into my writing room. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're weak in it, well, you know what? When I was in the army, one of the black guys said, "Sorry, it's okay. Uh, you're allowed to call black guys black guys." He said, "When you're weak in the hips, you got to be strong in the lips." <laughs> <laughs> That's an Evan quote. <laughs> so I. I was I was hoping because I saw that tweet and I was like, "What is this uh, from you, Evan?" Uh, that this means you're going through the next generation for uh, your book. Is that the case, or you just happen oh, to remember this one? I just remember this episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. Fa- uh, fine. I finished watching the Next Generation, and I, I, I started rewatching, thinking some down on Deep Space Nine. Good, good, good. So it's still on the back burner. Just having a job sucks. I really, don't disagree. It's horrible. I've had lots of and jobs. I'm not a fan. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I actually, I, I wrote. You're gonna have to start getting more Hugo my, Awards for uh, to, that'll bring my, your career my level. My coworkers up. were were um, talking about some Slack message they got on Saturday. Uh-huh. So I wrote uh, I wrote some poems. I wrote two haikus <laughs> in response because I was scolding them for uh, listening to uh, going on being on Slack during weekends. <laughs> Did you scold them on Slack or did you wait until I scolded them on uh, on on the, the the group chat on Line? Okay. Um, no Slack on weekends. It's like a rude ice storm. But should I check it out? Should I check it out? Question mark. <laughs> the previous message was everyone should check out the Slack message. I said should check it out. And then Atropos warns us: don't Slack at a sunny beach. She may cut today. That was nice. So just, I, I, wanted ask, face. I wanted to ask you. you Those are my two lame attempts at a haiku. Uh, yeah, they need to be about uh, the nature, and that doesn't go yeah, with work. Yeah, the beach, the sunny beach. Yeah, the first one was though. Yeah, yeah. What, what the are you first one say, is I, the metaphor of a nature metaphor was in there. Uh, yeah, there is. What were we going to say, Mike? I was going to ask you. You think uh, Disney will get the copyright on Mickey Mouse extended again? Uh, I I think they didn't. I think they let go Steamboat Willie. Um, the thing is, is it doesn't really matter. Like copyrights are really in a kind of a weird place right now because, like, any good movie that doesn't have any support from a giant studio is on YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, any bad movie that has giant support from uh, a big studio is not on YouTube. So you can find lots of great movies on YouTube, right? They're just mm-hmm. not ones. They're ones that like. Uh, there's a movie I tweeted about called uh, "Eat, Drink, Man, Woman." It's a movie by Ang Lee. Uh, I, my review or my summary is: it's about a family who likes to eat. <laughs> really good yeah. movie. Um, 
uh, entertaining and fun and nice to look at. Makes you want to go to a Chinese restaurant, right? Oh, it's a Taiwanese movie, Evan. Have you seen it? Yeah, I know it. Yeah, it's no. a good movie. He's he's Taiwanese American or something. Yeah, yeah. I think he's Canadian or something. Yeah, it might be Vancouver and Taiwan or whatever. Anyways, um, that movie's on YouTube, right? Uh, until it's owned by a studio that has you know the wherewithal to go in and just delete things off of YouTube, not wherewithal the power. Um, it's just going to stay there and it'll get taken down every once in a while by probably Angley, who's angry that his movie's on there, not making him any money. Um, and then it'll just pop up again. So I don't think Disney has to like they've locked down the media distribution methods. Other than torrents, they've locked them down pretty fucking hard, right? Like, um, I have to go to OK.RU to get a lot of movies uh, that are not on YouTube. Uh, But Russia is not conforming with uh, U.S. copyright as much, so that's likely to stay. But it is an it is an imposition. So I don't think I don't think they're. I'm much more worried, Mike, about about uh, them passing a copyright bill in Canada before Tolkien becomes public domain here, which is mm. this end of this year. He's going to suddenly turn public domain. But I think, they got it, I think they got it locked down enough in other ways that they don't even need to try and pass a copy. Like, you know, th- there's, you know about this guy named Kim.com? No. He's a r- weird guy he's a very successful entrepreneur he started in germany and he moved to new zealand and he's a citizen of new zealand um uh and uh he on orders of the biden white house or maybe it was the clinton white house i can't remember one of them or maybe the obama white house yeah it was the obama white house that's what it was um his house got raided by the new zealand government um and they tried to find evidence that he was, you know, a pirate or whatever. And he's just a guy who made a technology and was not in, he was not domestic. He was not American. So they raided him for something that they don't do to other uh, technologists in, in the continental U.S. Um, and he's been fighting extradition for a long time. But the, the, the technology he made is no different from all the other ones. It's just... Uh, it was not done domestically. And so um, he's a very active for making products that are useful for the internet. Like he's, he's been working on an alternative to Twitter that is uncensorable and stuff like that. Um, he says it's ready to go, but we'll see. Uh, very, very successful in making this stuff. And, and he is 100% in favor of all the fun stuff that we think is fun. Um, but he's had this terrible experience where they like literally tried to, you know, they raided his house with guns out and threatened his family and all that stuff. And no, for very, very, very bad reasons. And he's, he's um, basically reconstructed his whole company because uh, they seized his old company and just named it slightly different. And it it's, runs great. It's called Mega. And it's for transferring files around. So you've got a big project you're working on. You send it. All the all the um, scanners use it for sending, you know, uh, books around and stuff like that. I think what what you used one 
to send to me. What was it? App box or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. That's exactly. It's like Dropbox. It's just, the mm-hmm. thing is, is Dropbox. I, I wanted to, I want to say Condoleezza Rice is on the, is on the board of Dropbox. I think it's Condoleezza Rice. Um, this is how you don't get raided. <laughs> you don't let yeah. the if you if you let um, Biden's son be on your board, you don't get raided. If you don't let Biden's son be on your board, you get raided, even though mm-hmm. it's the same product, right? It's a it's yep. uh, which is it's crazy sauce. So if you can lock things up that way, then you don't actually have to have the fight, and it would be a fight uh, to make copyright even worse because it actually hurts a lot of people. To, and they haven't changed anything since the Digital Millennium Copyright Act because um, they found ways to manage that, right? So it's no yeah, doesn't take you know, down. I, I don't think it's. Changing. I even got, I even got challenged by Schuster and Schuster or something Simon like that. Simon and Schuster, yeah. On Simon and Schuster, on the Hemingway books. Yeah, they'll, they'll claim up. lies about all sorts of stuff, just because yeah, well, they think. We, they can, and no one can stop them. But if you've got some sort of person who knows a little bit about copyright, uh, and I guess is willing to put up any kind of backbone at all, then yeah. Well, Stephen Stephen J. Cohn went back to him. He says, you know, it's, it's in the public domain, right? You know, it's uh, but like you know, they they've got all these uh, uh, Hemingway titles, and uh, they. You know, and what what was really strange is there's got to be five of them from the public domain that are on uh, Audible, mm-hmm. and they picked on me. Well, they're probably yeah. sending the sending them letters to everybody. Is my guess because they don't, they, you know, like I I got one that story I sent you, Rug, um, mm-hmm. the guy who's the editor, the last editor. Uh, or the most recent editor of FNSF says that it's not covered. It, 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 he owns the copyright to it, and I'm like, unless you have a document saying that it was a work for hire, which it was not, right? Philip K. Dick didn't lose the copyright to that story. The only the Hardy Boy books. That's how you lose your copyright. You 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 do as a work for hire. Philip K. Dick did not do that as a work for hire. Um, just because mm-hmm. you renewed the issue doesn't mean you you get copyright over everything in the issue, right? If that was the case, a public domain story published in that magazine would suddenly be under copyright again. And that's not ever going to be the case. Once it's in the public domain... So you have to copyright everything that's in the, uh, so the, in the story. Yeah, the so they, they say, you know, we copyright the issue. And I used to think, oh, maybe that does do that. But looking at, like, the wording in a lot of the... It, a table of contents will sometimes say, you know, what contents or copyright and it usually is like editorial stuff or this or um another argument is that it's compilation it's the way you ordered it in the book right so like if you have orders uh, stories in order of um of uh p- publication you want to show sort of the development of science fiction over over decades and you pick 10 stories and each of those stories is in the order in that book you could claim that you have a copyright over that order but you can't mm-hmm. copyright the stories again, right? Only new material gets copyrighted uh, on the first uh, first publication is the pop, is the copyright for U.S. law, 
and and all all other law really. And so, yeah. Um, there is a by the way a um, story of uh, somebody um, Bobby Deary. He's a Lovecraft scholar guy. He just sent me a copy of oh, it's a poor scan, but I'm going to look at it anyways. Um, oh, story by what's her name? Uh, it's called the Werewoman. Werewoman. Uh, who's the author? She she a lady. Oh fucking, ISFDB cannot be loaded. There's a good thing. I'll just look at my drop downloads folder. Uh, it's in leaves. Werewoman by C. L. Moore. Mm. Uh, so it's a pretty fady, and but it's totally readable. And I will I will do a clearance on it. He said that uh, nothing in it was renewed, but I like to do my own checking. Um, and this is a story that nobody has touched because they're worried about copyright. But it did get a reprint later. But oh, this one's another uh, Donald Wandry. So he he's, he scanned uh, a whole story here that nobody's ever done anything with. By C. I, I don't know much that that much about it because I'm not a huge C. L. Moore fan. You know, one thing that's really strange. Is uh, the Agatha Christie? Oh yeah, uh, they're they're aggressive. Well, they're, she hadn't come after me on previous yeah. hands. Yeah, well, that really, they are. Um, they've they've been beat on certain things, but they are aggressively pushing their um, their. So uh, there was just a new Tolkien uh, book put out with new illustrations by Folio Society or something like that. Um, it's because these are the la- right before um, uh, right before that other one became public domain. They had a movie. The the estates push really really hard before before it comes out of copyright, so that they sort of have market dominance. And even for movies and stuff, was the Great Gatsby right? Remember, there was mm-hmm. another Great Gatsby movie a couple of years ago with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. That, that was like right before it was going to become public domain. So they're they're capitalizing on the fact that, yes, uh, this is our last chance to steal money. <laughs> and also, if we get this out there, um, along with the official Leonardo DiCaprio version of the book, we'll be able to reap rewards from that. But at most of Agatha Christie is not public domain, right? Most of it Yeah, is. most of it isn't. And the, you know, so but it's, uh, they're going to make tons of money for many decades still. Yeah, you know, you look at uh, uh, The Great Gatsby. You know, I mean, that's... Uh, you, you know, making a movie, they got to save a ton of money not having to pay royalties on that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just huge. But um, yeah, it does. They're they're real stupid in Hollywood. They don't know anything. That movie, uh, Philip K. Dick movie called Adjustment Bureau, right? Mm-hmm. That story they paid the Philip K. Dick estate for. Um, even though, because uh, Philip K. Dick states says it's, we have copyright over that, <laughs> and it's like that's a lie, and there was a big lawsuit over it, right? Like that they got lied to, but they paid all this money. Now the thing is, is they would have had to pay something anyways if they want international distribution outside the United States, right? Because the copyright for that story only lapsed in the United States. Other countries, it's fifty years or seventy years after the author's death. 
right? So it's still pu- it's not public domain in Canada. So if they wanted to distribute the movie in Canada, they'd have to pay some sort of fee. But the most most of the market's still domestic, right? So they would have had a chance to negotiate a lower rate if they wanted to have that thing. But they just the the lawyers didn't even know. The Hollywood lawyers just don't do their jobs properly. Most people don't know anything about copyright law is my estimation. Yeah. So when I go looking, yeah. people are just wrong all day long. Yeah, sure. I'm glad I found you. I'm glad you, you found me it. too because we are symbiotic. Um, in fact, um, I, I'm working on a couple books right now. Um, I, that one, Evan, I think you should totally read. Um, it's a Canadian public domain one I put up recently. I, let me see if it's on the... The web page is a little. Yeah, bit I've been slow getting line. your stuff, but I've been. I know you've been working. I've been kind of off, off, uh, not too much on Twitter lately. Um, I, I just, it's not even time. It's just after getting home from. Oh work, yeah, I haven't I seen you like, on Twitter much at all. I just want to like cuddle to myself <laughs> or something. And then, uh, this book I, I, put... I, I did have a Switch game for baseball. I've been playing too. Oh. MLB the Show Twenty Two. Blow up a storm. Um, yeah, I need to this do book, something. I'm gonna put this in the chat. This book, but you know, my sci-fi course—it's not going because my sci-fi and social issues class I proposed uh-huh. was going to be one of the 12th grade electives, and none of people signed up for oh, it. Oh damn! Um, which means probably less than seven people signed you, up. You for need it, to so. call it Bit Bitcoin and Supermodel Asses. That'll get you. Uh, yeah, the signups I, you need. Well, I thought it would get the social people who want a social issues class and the people who want a sci-fi course. That was the plan. But so I don't know what I'm going to do next year. If I have to teach seventh grade again and I can't like direct the curriculum, I'm going to f- not be happy. I think this ABC of Reading is Canadian. Pu- yeah, it's Canadian public domain. Yeah. That would be a good book for Mike, but it's wrong wrong department. Look at this book. Oh, it's. Very slow loading. Okay, um, so it's take it. I gave you this the big one. Anyways, this called this book is called Blow Up a Storm. Um, yeah, uh, I'll just read the back to you. Uh, it was a ball while it lasted. First, there was only three of us: Woody on trumpet, Don, who normally played bass on piano, and myself. We gigged around a little, expanded. Albie took over on piano, so Don moved back to bass. Then Davis, the Davis brothers from Harlem, who made up with me, the Reeds, and of course, Slug. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's where it all really started. Slug, huge, black, consumed by the eerie rhythms he had heard in his head, always reaching for something he could never quite touch. And then there was Edmond, the dazzling French girl, who was half in love with the whole band and dug the music even deeper than we did. It was a ball while it lasted. Then it began to come apart at the seams until finally it blew up in our faces. Um, and on the cover, uh, it's a, it says, a novel about the men who make music, the women who love them, the life that devours them both. Uh, by a guy named Garson Keenan, who's not on Wikipedia, but has an obituary on, out on the internet. Um, author of The Rat Race and Born Yesterday, and the novel's called Blow Up a Storm. And it's a very nice short novel. Well, maybe I'll get to it. I gotta do. I gotta do since Sin Street and Mars Child still. Oh yeah, no, it's three hundred twenty-one pages. It, <laughs> it's the thin pages, so it's not that short. 
but uh, I've been scanning up a ton. Yeah, Sin Street, definitely. I got one chapter done with Sin Street. Awesome. What else? Uh, I got Sinclair Lewis I'm working on now. Babbitt. I've been listening to your podcast on Sinclair Lewis. Yeah, I did Babbitt. Um, is it good? Did you, did you got your LibriVox? Is it on LibriVox? I'll, no, I'll he's, he's, audible, he's audible, man. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll send it you to you. Send me a copy of, of it, your actually, I'll... actually, it's on LibriVox. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were done yeah. with them. I, you were yeah. all commercial now. Well, you know, hey, no, but see, the thing is, once you put it on LibriVox, it's there forever. That's true. And uh, that's actually that's what you should do is you should will all your stuff to LibriVox. So that all the stuff that was making money for Audible and Amazon and Evil Jeff Bezos suddenly taken out of his pockets. Yes, but it also takes it out of my wife's oh, pocket. J- uh, John W. Michaels yeah. is on there, too. I didn't yeah, realize John that. John W. Michaels, yeah. Interesting. Yes, that's my pseudonym. Yes. Uh, how did you make this pseudonym? Well, there, did you do Main Street, too? There's two versions of Main Street. No, I didn't do Main Street. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find your... 394 sections. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize you were, book. That, you were that active. Um, hey. It's not loading. It's just spinning in a circle forever. Oh, here we go. Uh, Arabian art of taming and training wild and vicious horses. <laughs> yeah. That, that was oh, there it is. It is on there oh, in full. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I was really digging for stuff with the Arabian art of, uh, you know, actually, see, what I had this friend. Uh, he was in his 90s when I knew him, or 80s, late 80s. And this guy was in, you know, it's he was a real Renaissance man, Jesse. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, when he was a kid, he hoboed across the country, mm-hmm. you know, and it, uh, it's, uh, you know, he'd come back home and say, hey, you've been gone. Yeah, I've been gone for a while. And uh, he was in the uh, U.S. Cavalry when World War II started. Wow. And, you know, the guy is just a real uh, expert on horses. And, uh, you know, he he could write poetry. And it's just, uh, you know, and like he worked for the Border Patrol, mm-hmm. spoke fluent Spanish. And just really, really intelligent guy, you know, self-educated. And uh, that's why I, I wrote I narrated that story, but uh, he was—he was really an interesting person. You know, he told me about you know the U.S. cavalry, how uh, you know a cavalry horse would be six years old before it, by when, by the time it got to its unit, but it was just like a rifle. It was. Uh, hey, look at that—a hero's return. This is the one I was thinking about. I think I mentioned it on a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just see what status this one has. I can't remember if it's Canadian or U.S. public domain, but I was when I got this book, I was like, "This sounds really good." Uh, what's it called? It's called uh, "Big Kiss Off." Oh yeah, it's Day Keen. That's why. All right, I'm gonna have to go, you guys. All right, Evan, nice to meet you. And you, I'm sorry, you have to have a. Yeah, yeah, it was seven months ago. Seven months ago. Well, hey, that's that's. That's way past my uh, sell-before date. Um, but uh, I'll make sure I, I listen to your Babbitt when I do uh, that. Because in a couple, in next week probably, I'll start reading. Okay, yeah. I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, I, I, 
Yes. Don't know if I have a uh, better copy of it. I might. Uh, if I got something in Dropbox, hang on. Let me let me see if I got something in, Drop, in Dropbox. Is this on, on YouTube? Is this yours on YouTube? Somebody might have put it up on it. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. See, they, 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 trying to make money. Off it's of not as good. It's not as good as the one I did uh, later on. Mm. I'm just checking to see if I've got. Yeah, Babbitt. I think this is it. Let me see if I got Babbitt. Hey. Oh, that's rapid. Cat on the roof. Yeah, I think this is you, but it's, it's not credited. Yeah, yeah it's just not credited. Snip here. that off on the. Oh, no, here it is. It does say read, read by Mike Vendetti. So yeah. Here there. From the LibriVox. Yeah. Recording. Let's see, I got Babbitt uh, on YouTube. And a lot of praise for the reading in the comments. Really? I must have written that. <laughs> no, I, I don't have it on uh, in Dropbox. So that was one of the early ones I did, you know, and it, uh, that's three or four computer crashes ago. And <laughs> so I lost it. Damn. But uh, yeah, that... That uh, that one on uh, LibriVox is passable. That's uh, it's it's like if you're scanning stuff, you have to share it with the world. You don't hoard it. If you're recording stuff, you don't. You know, you gotta, sh- yeah. gotta share it with the world. Yeah, and that's what happens on uh, LibriVox. I was just looking at uh, you know, it's like uh, there's a. Uh, some F. Scott Fitzgerald books that are selling really well. It's but it's got uh, I'm credited in it because mm-hmm. uh, I did the curious case of Benjamin Button, right? And uh, got pirated. That but, happens. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, trying to find this day key. Maybe I never put it up. Anyways, I'll see you guys later. Have a good one. Thanks. Yeah, Fear of the Hawk. Fear of the Hawk by Sinclair Lewis. Yeah, he's going through uh, a lot of Sinclair. Sinclair yeah, Fear of the Hawk by Sinclair Lewis is probably on LibriVox. Is that a story? It's yeah. a novel? Yeah, it's a I, novel. I haven't looked at his stories. I've been doing the Library of America versions of things, so I think they only have the two volumes of his novels. I don't think they have a book of his, uh, some other stuff. So. Um. Maybe. So, Babbitt will probably finish my little exploration of Sinclair Lewis, at least for a while. Okay. No, he's I'm a great guy. I think my next big task is going to be doing the all, all eight volumes of Mark Twain. So, this is why we need um, a Canadian version of LibriVox, because this is the... Look at this. This is the... There's the tweet. I don't know why I didn't have it listed on the All right, website. I'm really going this time. Bye, so. Evan. Hi. Bye. Bye, This uh, Twitter tweet shows the uh, magazine and the link to it, or the magazine, the story. It's like you read this and you say, "That's a that's the kind of book I want to pick up and read." <laughs> yeah. um, murder mystery in which a Korean War vet returns to his Louisiana, uh, Lorraine's, returns to Louisiana only to bad grammar here to be kicked out of town by the f- sheriff. Uh, and then framed for murder of the sheriff. And then, quote, a fugitive on the run in his boat with a busty babe. 
Wow. And uh, on the cover, a two-timing blonde, a half-naked brunette, and a bullet-riddled corpse were his welcome home party. <laughs> he said, wow, only 144 pages. I'm going to read that. Apparently, it's uh, Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, I've, I've, I've really slowed down, you know, as far as uh, being able to get stuff done. You know, it's, uh, I've been screwing around with this city council thing. It has kept me... It's frustrating, you know, tied it sounds up. like... Yeah, it has been. But anyhow, I guess I'd better go take a nap. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, Jesse, thank you very much, and I'm sorry I was late. To, uh, dude, I was worried, but we got you, so no worries. Yeah. Okay, great. Have a great one. And okay, you too. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye workers. Uh, <laughs> They're not listeners? What? They don't listen Maybe to the not. four hours of extra materials? That... All right, so I, I don't work... Well, Thursday afternoons, I have to be in the office, but mm-hmm. I don't have classes. So I, I brought in a, the model I was working on, which is a Yak-3, right? Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, the airplane. Yeah, the plane. Yeah, the Soviet plane. Right. And <laughs> and it is like, what are you working on there? I'm like, oh, I'm just working on a Soviet plane. And then he started <laughs> to flip out at me and said, like, how would you feel if I like put a Nazi flag up here? <laughs> <laughs> what? Said, what? I'm just uh, making what? a model plane, dude. And then he showed me this little card he had, which is like a oh, you actually have plane. a Nazi plane too, right? You could yeah, have brought that in. I, yeah, that's. I wonder if he would have complained about that. And then you yeah. you you pick him up and you go <laughs> right at each other. <laughs> and then he then he uh, he showed me this little card he has, which is like a prayer for Ukraine or something. I read it. Oh my god! Like, okay, what does that have to do with the Soviet <laughs> Union? He's like, it's Russia invades Ukraine, don't you know? Or something like this. Oh my said, god! What does that have to do with Ukraine and Russia? <laughs> and then he, he you if know, he had put up a Nazi says, flag, like, it's an Azov battalion, uh, yellow yeah, and blue. Like, Holy shit! I, I just, I don't know. This guy is, this guy is like as qualified as I am to teach. I guess doesn't know the difference. <laughs> the Soviet Union and Russia. Uh, well, you're not supposed to know the difference between them. That's not convenient right now. They're still communists, don't you know? Are they? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Putin's a communist. He was born. I even in- did mention that. I said, like, you know, didn't you see that speech where like Putin ranted for like an hour about how crappy Lenin is for cultivating Ukrainian national identity or something? Mm. It's like. Oh, but he wants the Soviet Union back. I don't really think so. But anyways, that's that's what I have to deal with at work. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, all right, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna get Mike. He he uh, he's hard to get on uh, Skype because he has two accounts and uh, yeah, I think he has two accounts on Twitter as well. Um. But we'll 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 go a few more minutes. Um, what about Marissa? Marissa text. Yeah, she texted me last night saying um, uh, couldn't manage this weekend to fit in a podcast, so no PKD episode for me. I said we need to clone you, and she said I do need clones. Ever since you did that pre-persons episode, she doesn't want to touch. Ah, like, well, wait till she gets to the crawlers. Maybe. That'll put her off. Uh, Put her off uh, 
But that'll put Paul off too. Why would it put me off? Oh man, it's it's a it's about um post birth abortion. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> That's Quantum Leap, different show. Exactly. So what what's Paul been doing? I noticed he was off of um lockdown. Self imposed lockdown. What? What's self-imposed lockdown? Um, your account's not locked anymore. Yes, I. I well, yes, I. 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 I unlocked my. Actually, I unlocked my account the day I, my Hugo nomination was announced. Ah. So it's been for a couple of weeks now. Oh well, um, I, I, I don't remember what did we talk last week. I don't remember. Yes, we talked. Well, I was on the podcast last week. We didn't talk about that. What was the What was the story? I can't remember. So long ago. Why I lo- Why the I locked things down? Oh, the Wendigo. Right, right. Yes, the Wendigo. Well, I didn't read. Should have. Oh, all right. Here's here's some uh, here's some. Yeah, you should have. Um, uh, here's some news. Uh, I sent this to Evan. I think Paul, you retweeted this or something. Uh, when we stopped literally demonizing and torturing left-handed people. The number of them on record shot up because people felt safer admitting it. Mm-hmm. The actual proportion of left-handed people in society didn't change. I'm not sure about that. I, I'd be interested uh, to uh, hear thoughts about this. And right-handed kids were not groomed to left-handedness. Uh, I am sure that when you bully a section of society for so long and so relentlessly that only one in a hundred decide to live in the open, it must come as a shock when circumstances reveal the true percentage to be more like five in 100 instead. Uh, the queer agenda is not to create or corrupt more queer people because we were already queer from the moment we were born. The proportion of queer people has not changed, but some of you are finally beginning to see how many of us there always were. Um, I don't remember what you quote tweeted that. I think that was you, Paul. Did you quote? I, I I I did I did quote tweet quote tweet that I don't remember uh, what I precisely did, but yes, I did quote I did tweet that retweet that favorably because it's true. If you look at statistics of people who identify as left versus right-handed in periods where they were actively or people were trained to not be left, not use their left hand even as their dominant hand, and then when that went away, then people were actually quote left-handed. Went to shot up and then went stable. I'm going, I think that's, I'm going to offer. Yeah, I think the comparison's not bad. I'm going to offer a left-handed question for you. Okay. Um, okay. Are either of you left-handed? No. No. Okay. Well, that's good because we know how bad they are. I didn't want to have you on my podcast if you were a lefty. Um, <laughs> that being said, I had one student who uh, came from China and he was telling me why his handwriting was so bad is that, yeah, he used to get hit um, uh, because he was using his left hand because he was a natural lefty. Um, mm. And uh, and so in using his right hand, he's messy because it's not his dominant hand. Um, I think that this uh, uh, Twitter thing was interesting because, uh, first of all, that uh, quote, um, what, was, what was the, oh, shit, I got to bring it up again. I completely lost it. Where, where, uh, shit. Uh, I sent it to Evan. Why can't I find it? Uh, 
Oh, that's Bobby Deary. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Here it is. Oliver Darkshire. Okay. Um, I'm sure that if you bully a section of society for so long and relentlessly that one in a hundred decide to live in the open, it must come as a shock when circumstances reveal the true percentages, something like five in a hundred. I don't know what, what, anybody know what the percentage of people who are lefties is? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's, I think it's a lot higher than five in a hundred. No, no, but, but that, that's, I mean, I mean, I think. Probably more I like 20%. I think they're using uh, num- ballpark numbers for how many queer people there are. That's why they're going from one to four. They're not, they're not using the numbers of left-handed people in that one to five. Yeah. Percentage. I know that. Uh, of oh. lefties. <laughs> Ned Flanders. It says 10% on, on the WashingtonPost.com. Well, you can't trust that. But let's assume that it's exactly 10. Oh, another one says 12%. Some other website. Oh, Leftyfrets.com uh, says 12. According to experts. Oh, yeah, we can trust that. 12%. Uh, I know that not most people are not left-handed, but I don't know what the actual number is. Um, I was thinking a lot more about um, ambidextrous. Right. So what's funny is the word here, groom, right? The single quote grooms is to do with something that uh, I guess was trending on Twitter or whatever. Well, this is the lips of TikTok thing. That's the big thing they're pushing. Yeah. That there's I, grooming going on in public schools. I don't right. know if you've been following that at all. Yeah, I'm very it, it, slightly. And it has yeah. to do with the, the, just the Florida bill and all that. It's all connected to that. Which, right. I mean, my thought on that is, you know, I, I watched, I did watch a few of those videos. That's out of curiosity. Libs of t- TikTok? I don't know. They seem to pick people who are, I don't know. It's like. Crazed. I don't think they're picking main, mainstream teachers well, who are dealing with gender issues in their classroom. They're, okay. they're picking, you know, some of it, even I'm like, I don't know. Like, especially because the bill's like first kindergarten through third grade, you know, you know, it's, it's not for older, like older kids can still be taught this stuff, right? Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. The definition of what they mean by taught, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's probably they're, the start they're, of a bigger crackdown. I, I get that, it, but yeah, or, or 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 what they're even uh, opposing to is I just don't think lips of TikTok is advertising like what most teachers who might be dealing with gender issues are actually teaching. I think they're they're picking people like very extreme voices, <laughs> or they're or they're just picking voices that are seen by the conservative right as being extreme because they don't because they're not homophobic or what have you there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, a teacher that comes out to their students is seen as extreme by the libs of TikTok. Yeah. I, I, I was, which is I, just, okay. I was talking to my daughter about this. She's yeah. of course ninth grade or would be ninth grade if she was a normal school. And she said like, well, straight relationships are normalized at the young age. And I'm, I'd agree with her on that. That's a good point. <laughs> normalized. <laughs> they are. Like, well, yeah, but that's not the word for it because that, that like straight relations is how they came into existence. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> that or at least but, something related to straight relations. But I mean, the argument would be don't like, I don't know how, like it's, it's a little awkward. Like how would you like have a, could you, 
like you just teach the just teach that the stork brings kids or something until they're <laughs> well that's lies you, you shouldn't and then at fourth grade you can start to teach about you know relationships of different types maybe things. maybe you should so, teach lies i'm not sure it's a, it's a, it's, but i i i, I think it's probably I just, unwise yeah I, I don't i don't know much about really young kids teaching them no. I, I, teach I teach young I'm kids. I'm teaching seventh grade right now. Well, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about anything like like I'm more yeah. like this is this is a, a mug versus a cup. <laughs> well, I teach seventh grade West, roots like, and branches, ancient sieves, right? I teach ancient sieves, and for every civilization, there are sections about family and marriage and things like that. But it's really like the curriculum is really light about those things. Like it, it might. Like the closest, like the raciest thing that was like in the textbook that we taught was something like, oh, Egyptian girls would be married off at like 12. And they had a laugh about that. But, you know, all the stuff that could be talked about in terms of but, but gender that, and that, sexuality that would, no, in ancient civilizations. They're not, not that ancient. Curriculum. Edgar Allan Poe's marrying his 13-year-old cousin. Someone huh. made a decision it shouldn't be taught. And I may not, may, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's. But they're also teaching much older kids. Right. I'm teaching older kids, so I'm saying the, the I'm, I don't know about first through third what how these issues are going to address. But my daughter made a good point that yeah, straight relationships are talked about all the time, so why not other types? Yeah. I didn't have a counter to that. Yeah, and I, I wasn't trying to really argue. I was just seeing her opinion on the issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to think about it, but I, but I did watch a few libs of TikTok I'm, videos, I'm and I'm like. Is that the best use of like a second grader's time to, to, to talk about? To, you know, to, I, I don't know. I'm a mix. I'm a, I'm a bit confused about this debate and, and where to where to come down. Like, where how to think about? It. Yeah, I need to be educated, maybe. But I I, I want to talk about you know. So the thing is, is yeah, lefties have have in historical periods been persecuted and relatively recently that student i was telling you about who was hit uh in china by a teacher for using his left hand he's got to be 20 now or so right Mm -hmm. so uh it wasn't that long ago um and it it did force him to become a right-hander um because he didn't like being hit (laughs) or or, or to use his right hand it didn't change him no no he's a right-hander now and and this goes and this no, 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 no. For writing. I disagree. This, this goes in the same way as like trying to cure people of being gay. It's like, it doesn't change. It means just making them assume right-handedness versus being right-handed. Being right-handed well, is... for writing. He's right-handed. For, well, I'm not sure there's a He's not right. Nature. He's using his right hand. I, 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 <laughs> this, I, I see okay. this distinction with the difference, Jesse. All right. The difference being, yeah, I, being I right-handed. I don't, I don't quite agree with you. Is that I'm not sure... We have an essential, I guess, with handedness, you can you can train yourself to use both hands. People if you're right handed, you can yeah. train to use your left. And, but that'll, that'll and doesn't change your original hand. If you're maybe, it's, you, uh, but someone who's like, you, a, you still a, have a dominant hand, and it's dominant hand, someone who's right hand. born with a relatively like small frame can become a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not. Our our physical being is not the end of who we are. Our, like no, our nature no. is the end of it. No, right? no, but it, but it, it's not the it's not the essentiality, but it, it it's the basic template of who you are. 
I mean, you can change no, that. Yeah, template. This, you can change, I, I you can change that template. You can you you can override aspects of that template. That, that template's still there. You don't you don't, you don't you're not stepping into the quantum leap accelerator and changing. Well, the I have to go back to this the same body. crutch then, Paul. What monogamy? We're not naturally monogamous as a species. Our closest relatives are not monogamous. Our, our closest and natural most, relatives most are civilizations it. choose monogamy, the, even and, though and, it's and, totally and, unnatural. And, and, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> totally it, unnatural. Is, if human, I, I mean, be, because. Bonobos because, are, and chimpanzees are not monogamous. Right, but the, that that necessarily mean humans aren't. But in uh, the end, doesn't mean well, humans it doesn't. Are. But pretty much it's, all the evolutionary and anthropological. Well, so evidence, lots of evidence that people don't stick to. Uh, the seven-year itch right. is a yeah. real thing. It's a real chemical thing. Because right? <laughs> our nature of, of, of our relationships change after time when yeah. the kid's old enough to, like, basically get along on its own. And the father's not as needed to be around. So spread those genes. Spread that DNA to another woman. Mm. It's, uh, like, hardwired in. So it's, I, every culture has something like the seven-year itch. I, I agree. It makes sense I, i'm a, a bit worried about so paul um if he uses his right hand now that nobody's hitting him right i never forced him to use his right hand he did it in school here and he did it with me in tutoring um and he's uh, let's imagine he's doing it right now um it, he was switched right and he could say you know this is something i regret i shouldn't have been uh handedness reassigned or whatever <laughs> um the thing is, is whether he is right-handed now or not, he uses his right hand as a writing thing. And uh, the thing is, is the way we write uh, left to right on a page, uh, this is mm-hmm. pretty standard, it actually makes it slightly easier to write uh, using your right hand. Right? There are other methods where you write left to right. Or right to left. Like, because like, I saw our notebooks were made or something. Yeah, I mean, there is. The left hand's not an argument that the world is made for right hand. Yeah, I mean, things like scissors and whatnot are definitely all yeah, but right, right-handed design. I'm imagining Ned Flanders' Twitter bio. <laughs> it would say, you know, husband, father, lefty. <laughs> right? Um, the thing is, is there's no lefty emoji. Or if there is, I'm not aware of it. And I, I don't see everybody using it, right? Um, and, uh, the number between 1% and 5%, the number of people who, who, you know, persevered, even though they were abused as left-handers and, you know, stayed left-handed after the abuse. I don't think that we've seen a massive spring up in the number of people who have since become lefties, right? Well, uh, but, 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 but that spring up happened it's been happening for generations. I mean, I mean, maybe the in the West, the training of people to use their right hand is diminished since the early 20th century. So that spring up has already happened. Yeah, I. So it's a, I'm so, I'm saying that there's a difference here, like um, gender questioning, right? So you're not sure what gender you are um, is very popular right now. That is, many people are into it that weren't 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It wasn't that they didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. It's just that it was uh, uh, less t- tolerant culture, right? But Yeah, I was thinking about this very thing, how, like, 
But not, not a lot I of people identify totally as ambidextrous who actually are, right? You know, they, they yeah. can e- write beautifully, draw beautifully with both left and right hands. But th- those people are very rare. Right, but there's no skill test on being queer, right? So there are a lot of people, and I'm not and, saying and, and, as and, a percentage, so, and, who are married to a spouse of a opposite cisgender who are identifying as queer. And that is not a phenomenon of oppression. It's a, a phenomenon of grooming in a certain sense. Because if you can identify as a, a minority, then there are physical job advantages, right? You can get into jobs better as you're a better qualified candidate. But I, I don't know. When people think of grooming, they're usually thinking of like, when the TikTok are attacking teachers are saying, your teacher is grooming. Yeah, you're talking about just like a cultural shift. Yeah, it's, like well, it's, 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 it's relating it Giving to... young people who maybe are going through all kinds of identity issues. Yeah, but they're relating to it to... Think about things in new ways. It's, but it's the word grooming, is right? designed to be pejorative, right? It's, it's designed yeah. to make you think of um, uh, pedophiles, right? So should we... You're trying to redeem the word grooming? No, 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 not at all. Um, I don't care at all. I just think it's that thinking of uh, left-handedness and right-handedness as in terms of we are groomed to be right-handed is ridiculous. Um, On the other hand, there were people who were persecuted for being left-handed. I think it's an interesting way to think about it. It is very interesting. And that's why I was like, huh, I didn't look at Oliver Darkshire's bio, but uh, there was a, a rainbow in the in the name, and it says D and D tabletop role playing games, queer rampage. Not sure what that means. On another rainbow flag, narcoleptic, uh, disabled. I'm not sure if the dis- the you know the wheelchair symbol is the narcolepsy is the disability. Leather, <laughs> occasionally and regrettably books. This is not a respectable place. He him, Manchester, England. So. I got a sense I just, of this person. I think my question for Paul might be, mm-hmm. but I didn't see left-handed in the bio. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's, he's doesn't say right-handed. But... Doesn't say ambi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Just an ally of the left-handed. Oh, it could be <laughs> maybe just not not choosing to identify as such because it's so unimportant now. Um, Your job, I guess, I Evan, doesn't. Is, my- hinge on whether or not you're left-handed right whereas it can hinge on whether or not you're um black or if you're gay or something like that i i don't see anybody losing their job over being left-handed these days yeah um there are pilots who they're too big for the cockpit so they don't get to be pilots right or uh, and i'm sure there's people who are too or small people to be to be be a horse jockey yeah uh yeah 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 um, but uh, I think the main requirement there is that you you be small. <laughs> so whether you're gay I, or I mean, lefty or, or whatever, yeah, uh, they just episode. literally have to have somebody on top of that horse. The lighter, the better. Yeah. And uh, over 18, so they don't get sued or whatever. Yeah. But you had a question for me, Evan. Oh, yeah. What I was thinking about is like, Kind of something that I would think about. How about a, a don't say 
swinger kind of walk. <laughs> Don't say swinger. Because I want to teach about monogamy throughout history. It's totally normal. It's very common. Uh, 50% of marriages fail. And something like in the United States is like 60% of men are... Evan wants to start a harem studies branch so of the university. I, I think it's totally... We should totally normalize you, non-monogamy. You want to normalize non, non, non-monogamy. Yeah. I um, think it's. A, I think we're in a. It's, a. it's an oppressive monogamous world, and it's silencing people. So I want. I want kindergartners to. You are going. You're going to get the conservative religious right on your. Uh, on your set. But I'm going to get the. I mean, I'm going to get liberals to also agree with the conservatives on this. Yeah. Um, a lot of liberals would. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Paul? Are you a liberal? I don't normally. Trying to classify you as Deb, I found the limit of your liberalism. Uh, hey, this is Mike Venditti. I just hey, there he liberal. is. Oh wow! Uh, I'm glad we we started ta- uh, started talking about this because we were worried nice about to, you showing nice up. To see you again. Hello. Hi. Um, was that the last time call- you were on the other? Film yeah, I think it was seven months ago. Something like that. Master of the Masters. Ah, I'm gonna get you. To, I'm gonna t- get you to turn off your video because uh, okay. it might fuck up my recording. But I'll start a new one. Hey, hey, hey! The, the f bomb already. Let me get this thing shut down. Whoa, what, whoa, whoa! What was whoa, the f bomb? There you are. Video. Turn video off. There, there we are. Thank you. I'm gonna just start a new recording. Hang on. Uh, yeah. See, I, I had a uh, difficult night last night. Did uh, you? Yeah. Well, see, I get to you know a. Uh, uh, with my amputation, I'll start getting phantom pain. Ah. Uh, and oh, I had a big oh. time last night, you know, so I took three pills, four pills, you know, and here I am. Hey, Mike, are you lefty or righty? Actually, I'm a right-handed person, but I've uh, become left-handed because I've got MS that affect my right arm. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, so this is. is this is exactly what we were talking about is, is uh, you know. But you, well, left, uh, left, how left do you leaning? identify? Yeah, left leaning or left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you put it in your Twitter bio? Is my question. <laughs> Lefty. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I do. It's uh, you know, I prefer Twitter because Twitter, uh, you know, it's like you use Facebook for one thing and Twitter for more my political views and so forth because you can sort yeah, people out better. I saw. I, I I was looking at you have two Twitter accounts and I I can't remember which one is which, but one of them has like nine thousand followers or something. Yeah, really. Yeah, I think so. I th- yeah, I th- yeah. It's, I'm, I'm getting up there. Yeah, I was like, wow. And mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So um, there was someone else like that who I was like, wow, holy holy cow, so many. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, lefties versus uh, were they persecuted in your day when you're – oh, by the way, um, Mike, are you 81 now or are you still 80? Uh, I wish I was still 80. I'm 81. Okay, yeah. Last time we talked, you were 80. Oh, uh, yeah, you were 80 because you mentioned it in uh, the last Philip K. Dick show we did. I, I just – I'm a 1941 model. <laughs> they made cars for uh, that you could repair back then. Oh yeah, you know they, they always needed it too. <laughs> they definitely did. On the other hand, um, uh, you didn't. You could uh, go to high school and uh, learn how to fix them, whereas mm-hmm. today you cannot do that. I was listening yeah, to Evan's like, podcast on this story. That's why I'm thinking about that. Yeah, my uncle was uh, my uncle was Mister Good. 
I didn't even listen, re-listen to it. You, let, you talked about, uh, you know, repairing your own stuff in oh, high yeah. school and stuff like that. Yeah, my, uncle was Mr. my uncle was Mr. Goodwrench. Uh, he could fix anything. Uh, you know, he's an Italian guy, naturally. And, uh, but he was the most patient man I ever saw. I mean, like, uh, I remember one time I was out here and he had this uh, Chevy El Camino. And nice. he tore the engine down, rebuilt it, put it all back together. And wasn't happy with it, so he tore it all apart again, put it back together. But he told me one time, he says, Mike, there's uh, no such thing as a lemon. There's just guys who can't fix them. Mm. Yeah, I think there are, you know, parts that are weak. Like they they fucked up somehow, but um, learning about how Toyotas, uh, you know, they they just got so good at making engines. And they don't. You know, break it, break it every two years. They just keep making the same engine, but they keep improving little parts, and and that's how they got their their quality of reliability sort of thing. That yeah, you can drive them like you stole them, dude. I've been driving the same car for thirty one years, daily. Thirty one well, years, good God! Indeed, Do I have cars back then. No, it's going to be thirty two years because I got it in nineteen ninety, and this is this is twenty twenty two. Thirty twos, thirty two years. I've been driving the same car. Well, yeah, but you haven't been driving far. I mean, what, what's the longest driving trip you've taken in the last Calgary, five years? Calgary. Oh, in the last five years, not, not very far. Vancouver. But exactly. So you can you can have your thirty year old car because you don't leave Vancouver. Oh. you're not driving. You're not yeah, driving I, a thousand miles on a, on a run. No, but uh, you know, it's still thirty one years old or thirty two years old. Yeah, but, but it's it's not the it's not the years. It's the mileage. How many miles are on the car? I don't know, because for many years the odometer was broken. Oh, that doesn't help. I didn't fix it. That's always good. Well, what's the point of fixing it? It just cost money. Um, When they were in there fixing something else, uh, I said, yeah, you might fix the odometer too. I I, I mean, one reason would be to make sure you're getting your oil changed on a a good schedule. Ah. Dude, it's a 32-year-old cloud with the that same oil engine. That schedule seems just like a scam to me. It is part, partly you know, that's what I thought a when scam. I was driving. It's partly a scam. You know, growing, up, growing up in the 50s, I remember in Minnesota, you know, they used a lot of, see that Minnesota? I can't say Minnesota right. But that, that just that fine. gives me authenticity, like some of you Canadians boot. Uh, but uh, I remember the day that the fender fell off of Frank Petrich's Studebaker. <laughs> it just it just rusted out. <laughs> well, I've got a panel on my car that's rusting, but it's mm-hmm. been thirty two years, so I'm not complaining. And it's well, you know, it used to be that they, if you let if you kept a car for four years, that sucker was wore out. Yeah, 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 yeah. They made uh, they made quality cars in the eighties and nineties. Toyota did. I hear things mm-hmm. have changed a bit, um, but I have not been keeping up like I, I used to on uh, the industry. Well, I remember I was in Bangkok in uh, 1962, and they had all these, they were Datsuns back then, mm. uh, Datsuns and Toyotas running around. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, if these things ever hit America, we're screwed. And you were? <laughs> yeah, we were. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny stuff. Um, yeah, uh, my grandparents had uh, Datsuns when they first hit in the late 70s, and uh, they kept them for mm, 
many years and then uh they both swapped over to Volvo which Volvo yeah and Volvo. I saw a, I saw a uh YouTube video of a guy who drove his Volvo a million million miles and uh went back to the dealership with it and they gave him a new Volvo so well, I, you know when I was an auction when I was an auctioneer uh you know I sold cars that were impounded by the uh, San Jose Police Department and I don't know how many Volvos I bought. I had a bunch of them, but they they were strange cars. I had one of those little dudes that uh, had a, a black, they were silver with a black top. They were really rakish. Hmm. And it, it had a V6. Oh, like uh, uh, you're talking about the uh, one that the Saint drove? drove? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it had, it has a, it had a six cylinder Saab engine in it. Hmm. And what a piece of crap. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, my mom used to have one as well. They were big safety vehicles in the eighties, I guess. Yeah, but the Volvos, they, you know, the only thing you had didn't really need was mud flaps. And then you know, you she, like she got a K car like that. after that, and man, that thing was such a piece of fucking shit. Um, uh, I went to like open the hatchback one day, and it wasn't like even an old car. And I, you know, pulled a little door latch or whatever on the hatchback and the fucking sign came off you know like where it says yeah. chrysler <laughs> it like came off in my hand like it was glued on well with, like two you know, dollops I, I of glue I, I took my uh brand new lincoln to the uh car wash and it was going ahead of a brand new cadillac you know and it's like you know, me and a cadillac guy that were looking through the window you know with our pride of ownership mm -hmm. so my fucking car went through the air knife and blew the Bumper off. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, a, no wonder uh, Toyota and Datsun yeah. and Hyundai and all them have taken over. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I sold cars back then and it was, uh, uh, it was a real battle, you know, because I worked for this guy named Jim McHugh and uh, he had a, a Lincoln Mercury dealership and uh, it was a real battle, you know, with the big American cars, you know, because like, Henry Ford smoked cigars, and he made a car that was uh, Henry Ford Jr. Uh, he wanted a wing window so he could stick the cigar out the window. Right. It's uh, you know, I mean, it's nice owning a automobile company, so you can just kind of custom build your car. Yeah, make sure the ashtray is big enough for your cigar. Mm -hmm. My car is so old it has an ashtray. <laughs> That's how the old. Really? Yeah. Right. That's crazy. I, I, my first car was a 1931 Model A. Oh, that's a good car. They the the gas tank is in the uh, dashboard. Yeah, it's right in front of you. So you hit something that blows up. Uh, well, no, it means you don't have to have a uh, a fuel pump. It's that's all gravity right. it's fed. Gravity fed. Gravity that's, fed. That's yes. that's smart. Um, they those are mm -hmm. actually uh there well, was that, a neighbor of my mom's who recently died. Um, who had one, and uh, I was talking to him about it not not long before he died. He went in for surgery, and you know, well, you had out. to if you if you had a steep hill, you had to back up it because going up it, the uh, you might run out of gas. <laughs> I've had that happen in a couple of my cars. <laughs> it just, I, I had another car, car Paul, where the the fuel gauge was broken. <laughs> that one you have to pay a lot more attention oh, to than God. the odometer. 
Especially when you're poor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, if yeah, you yeah, can yeah, afford yeah. to fuel, put any fuel in your car. You say, come on, I can make it one more day. Come on. I'm, now I'm now reminded of the bit from uh, from a scanner darkly. You have two fuel gauges, and neither you don't know which one is accurate. Mm. Yeah. It's like which one, which one or if either of, of them are accurate. Speaking of Philip K. Dick, you guys want to do a show on one? Hey. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's let me get let me get my uh, thingy started, and let's do a show. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, I listened to Evans. Uh, show on it. I also went and read uh, the reviews on uh, or maybe it's a review on Goodreads of Evan's book on Philip K. Dick. Um, I don't know how that came up, but it's very hard. When I go searching, I like type in Evan Lamp, or sorry, Evan Lampy uh, souvenir, Philip K. Dick. It doesn't come up. Like Google just doesn't want to give me Evan's website or anything. So I have to type in podcast too, and then uh, it says, oh, okay, we reluctantly give you this this thing you were searching for instead of all the other things we want to show you. And yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hidden deep in the deep Dude, world. how bad is it that if I type in Evan Lampy, Philip K. Dick souvenir, it doesn't come up as the first thing? It just should. This is why I don't get Hugo nominations. This is partially why you don't get Hugo nominations. It's also why you don't get, you know, billions of listeners. Because yeah. it's just so buried. It, it shouldn't be, because it's good stuff. That book um, sounds pretty good. The guy who uh, did the review of it um, had qualifications, but the qualifications were all positive. And, yeah. uh, and the praise was like, um, when I don't know what to think about a Philip K. Dick story, I go and look at this book as a resource, and then it gives me a way in. Which I think yeah, is very, very positive. It's, it was a all in, all hands on deck kind of effort. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was trying for a general theory of Philip Dick. I don't yeah. know if I succeeded. Oh, yeah, but uh, what yeah. I like is you've you've tackled it from, as the guy was pointing out, um, from a way that isn't. What, what's that word they always want to say uh, about his religious angle? I don't know. There's, yeah, I. What's I think well, my, my overall thesis is there's a. A tendency to read Gnostic. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, there's, the there's a tendency to read Philip Dick backwards. Like, yes, they get into Philip Dick because of the Gnostic stuff or the exegesis or the yes. Lutalis nonsense, and yes. then they're like, oh, then they try to read it back, and they they find and they say the, the roots of, of it are stuff. there, and it's true, but who cares? That's not the interesting but part. It's, <laughs> but that's I, I want totally the robot better. that's cuckolding the man. <laughs> yeah, so I have a whole chapter. For instance, I. I have a whole chapter on on family and and gender and and all those kinds of things mm-hmm. in the book. I have a whole chapter on mental illness and and the debates about mental illness in the sixties, fifties, and sixties. When he's writing those books that are dealing with the issues of psychiatry and all that, it's it's in the middle of an ongoing debate over psychiatry, right? Mm-hmm. All these World War II veterans come back mm-hmm. and they went to war normal and they come now back they're drinking ill, and people are like, oh. Death. Actually, it's the context that creates mental illness. It's not an inherent character. Mm-hmm. Uh, things happen to people. And, of course, you have Freud talking about that, too, right? It's how you're raised or something. But but he focused on your childhood. And this idea that the world sucks and that's what makes us mentally ill is something Dick was certainly interested in. Or I have a chapter on work and, and all that. So I I think there's a lot of – I think I was trying for a general thesis – 
of I'm Celtic looking forward Friday. to the audiobook. Looking forward to it. I could do it. Do I, it. I have my copies here. Do it, dude. I could record it. Do it. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, I am so old, speaking of mental illness. Yeah. When I was a senior in high school, our field trip was to go to the local insane asylum where they had <laughs> windows, and you could walk down the hall the and human look zoo. at these people, and they would look back at you. Wow. And you know, I mean, it just... Uh, uh, well, that's probably probably a good thing to expose this, you know. I mean, it's not. Well, it's probably not nice if you're in there, but it's good that people were uh, not hiding them away from the public. Well, yes, they did. Actually, what they did, I mean, they pretty much hid them away, you know. It's, uh, yeah, but yes, you got a uh, tour at least. Yeah, well, you could tour it. You could take a look at them, you know. Now, that's a Mongolian idiot right there. Wow. Those are... Those are things that are going to get get you canceled today. Well, yeah, yeah, it would, <laughs> but uh, not back then. It was, uh, you know, so, it's like you had uh, in San Jose, California, you had Agnews. Agnews? And, uh, Agnews. Like Spiro? Yeah. Agnews? No, no, it's not like if Dick knew Agnew. It was Agnews Hospital. It was oh, Spiro. okay. Had nothing to do with it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that was where you, you put them away, and it was really kind of neat. And then they turned all these guys loose, and they're, they're out on the street. And mm. California. Thank you, uh, thank you, Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. Um, before we start on our regularly scheduled souvenir, um, I want to ask you, since we haven't talked since then, um, how, what you thought of Rug? Rug, Rug. Oh, man. Rug, Rug, Rug. <laughs> that, you know, it's, uh, that's really neat. You and I read a... Uh, I read a, a what well, was your review? Oh, my uh, uh, analysis of the of Rug, yeah, yeah. It took it took uh, forty five minutes to analyze a twelve minute story. I know, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's so in depth. He's so interesting. Uh, His brain yeah, is so it weird. Is. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, you don't look at your dog the same. It uh, no, but he he really. I mean, he's when I. My mom has dogs, and she's always had dogs, so I, I'm around dogs a lot. They are not, like, I was talking to Jason Thompson, and he's like, dogs are people. And I'm like, no, they're not. They are like people. They're mammals, right? But they have no yeah. shame until you say, who did that mess on the floor? Then they have shame, right? Yeah, well, that, that's how they earn a living. You know, <laughs> you know yeah, I yesterday, mean. Yesterday, this older dog showed up at our, at our uh, on our porch. And uh, Molly put him in the car and took him down to the uh, uh, Humane Society because uh, they read him for a chip. He said, mm-hmm. hey, hey, uh, Bear, how you doing? This dog was a frequent flyer. I mean, they recognized oh, him. Oh, my God. They didn't even need to ch- chip him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they recognized him at the pound. You know, I felt really sorry for him because the owner came and got him. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a young guy that has a dog. And I just wondered if maybe it had been a parent's dog or something like that mm-hmm. because uh, he doesn't really look out for him. He's just a you know a real uh, real nice dog. But, uh, it is you know, it's a huge a, responsibility to have a dog. Huge. Yes, it is. Any any huge. animal. Cats take off on their own, but uh, uh, you know dogs are so dependent on you. Yes. I mean, if you you take a dog that. Dog owns you, you know, and it's uh, it's like having a child who you know will never be able to open the doors by themselves. Yeah, uh, my mom's uh, my mom's got four, and 
uh, one of them's in heat and the other one, uh, another one's uh, not fixed. And he is having the worst day ever, <laughs> except it's been going yeah. on for weeks. And he's like howling and crying. And it's like, I'm so horny. It's what he's saying all the time. And he's like drooling and shaking and he's not eating. <laughs> it's, I mean, he okay, looks at I'll you like, you. just let me at her, please. I'll show you. I'll starve myself. We'll see where I live. <laughs> this, this is, this is pit bull country. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're real, they're really nice dogs. I mean, our dog is, it, uh, she can claim a little bit of pit bull, mm-hmm. but, uh, she's a really good dog, but dogs become what you make of them. Yeah. I, they have their own character sharp, too, but yes, absolutely. You can, unless they're one of those sharp A's that does nothing but growl and fart. <laughs> That's racist, sir. <laughs> Breedist. You know, I'm on city council, and our attorney screwed up. We have, we have an executive session where everything is, it just stays there. It's supposed to stay there. But the our attorney who we fired didn't, uh, you know, you have to write, you know, there's five reasons for going into an executive session. And, uh, he, he wrote the thing wrong. So all our executive sessions are in the public. Oh no. And we say some not very nice things about people. Not you know, diplomatic uh, things. Yeah. Not diplomatic things. And we've got this, uh, one guy who gets, uh, has, uh, some kind of voyeuristic, looks at him like a voyeuristic peep show. Mm. And he got 18 of these sessions, you know, and he's, uh, put them on, uh, we transfer. Oh yeah. And you know, you go in there and he just, uh, it's, it's really, really bad. You know, but, <laughs> reading yeah. the transcripts of, of, uh, <laughs> these closed session councils where you get to hear what the politicians really think. Well, these are, these aren't transcripts, but they're just, they're recordings. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're live recordings, you know, and it's, uh, it's like, uh, uh, we maybe maybe it's to, more. Maybe it's better that way than to well, yeah, see the words in we were print. To, we we're trying to hire a city manager, and we got this guy. He was, I think he was a Canadian, and he's got you know his five beta kappa, and uh, he speaks several Romance languages and stuff like that. You know, but the guy's never really worked. I mean, he's just uh, gone around and been the smartest guy in the room. Mm. And, you know, I made a comment because we got a, we got a guy in town who's a real wheeler dealer and he's, uh, from Hungary or something like that. And I said, yeah, this guy really get along with Barna, you know, and it, that, that's not good. That's going to come back on me mm-hmm. when this thing gets out. What'd you say about Barna, why'd you say that? Hey, you got to watch what you're saying here too. All this is going in the show. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the good news is. And they have to listen to about four hours of pre-chat before uh, they will find this section. Uh, why don't we okay. start? I don't know how much time Paul has. He usually has a game on Sunday. You ready to go, Paul? Yes. All right. Um, Evan, you with us? Nope. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, okay. Here, okay, here we go. So um, uh, I think the order is Jesse, Paul, Evan, Mike. Correct. Here we go.